You're listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Akaram. And uh, this is episode number 17. And uh, for this uh, this week, um, my good friend Mike Hill, uh, main man of the band Tombs, as well as Scorpion Throne, and the podcasts, Everything Went Black and Necromaniacs. So fellow horseman of the podcast apocalypse uh yeah mike uh returns uh after uh absence of a month or two i think and um yeah because we didn't uh have him on last month so um he's on again he's uh this month we are talking about one of our favorite authors uh thomas Ligotti. And um, we're going to be discussing the story Flowers of the Abyss from the Grim Scribe Collection. And, uh, yeah, it's a great story. Uh, inspired a pretty great conversation. Um, and then, uh, yeah, after about an hour and a half or so, we just kind of spun off on a very lengthy uh, just kind of conversation, freeform conversation about a lot of different things. So, uh, hope you guys enjoy that. Yeah, and, uh, as I go over in the podcast, for me, Thomas Ligotti is very tied to this time of the year. There's just something about winter that really, um, has that feeling for me, I guess. So, uh, it's a very appropriate time to, uh, be playing or to be talking about Thomas Ligotti. Uh, it was like, yeah, I feel like every November I, I kind of go and get into him. So, yeah, and then uh, I guess we'll see what we're going to do next month. Um, don't have an idea yet, so we'll figure it out. Um yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed the Silent Hill episode last week. And, uh, you know, um, Stage will be back on uh, for December for Funeral Doom podcast. And, um, yeah, we, uh, we'll see what's going, coming up. Uh, next week should be a uh, podcast about uh, Depeche Mode that I'm going to be doing with my uh, friend Ken. Uh, fellow co-host of the Denver Underground Radio. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for that next week. Um, what else, what else, what else? Yep, uh, this uh, podcast is coming out the week of Thanksgiving. So I hope everyone has a good holiday. If you're going to be spending time with family or friends or whatever you're going to do, I hope it's a good one. Uh, I'm probably going to be going up to the mountains with one of my friends and we're going to go on a hike or something. So uh, it'll be a good Thanksgiving. And uh, my last two days, Wednesday and Thursday, are my last two days off until the end of the year. So the, there we go. I'll be working quite a lot. And uh, that's, that's how it goes, uh, if you know what I mean. So... 
Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get into the episode. Uh, Before we do, I want to shout out to the fellow horsemen of the uh, podcast Apocalypse. On Mondays, we have Horror Wolf 666 with Brandon Legion. On Tuesdays, we got Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Schmidt. On uh, Wednesdays, we got my guest tonight, Mike Hill, and his podcast, Everything Went Black. As well as on Thursdays, we have his podcast, Necromaniacs, co-hosted by Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. Um, And then on... Uh, Intermittent times, uh, we got Iblis Manifestations featuring uh, Cheyenne of Trivax. So that's the uh, the uh, unholy group of podcasters. And uh, everyone who's listening, please go and subscribe to everybody. And uh, if you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on uh, Instagram uh, as uh, at... Carl Hikara, K-A-R-L-H-A-I-K-A-R-A. So, and you can also look up uh, Denver Underground Radio as well. Follow us there. That's the kind of uh, homepage for both my radio shows and the podcast. So, just go on there. Uh, I'd recommend that. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan.
First off, I just want to um, thank you for coming on again. It's good to have you back on, Mike. Always a pleasure, Carl. It's, uh, we missed. Uh, we missed. Yeah, we obviously after everything going on last month, you weren't, weren't on. But so it's been a couple months since you, I think you were last on in what September. So yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, we uh, we were talking about doing uh, Great God Pan, but um, I yeah, I decided I was like. Well, I feel like Great God Pan is a better, actually, probably a better story for like the spring, you know, or summer that time. Because, yeah, the feeling of that story, you know, has a lot to do with that kind of energy, you know, like, um, and, uh, you know, we're getting in November, and uh, for some reason, November is very tied to, for me, the subject of the of uh, today's podcast, which is uh, Thomas Ogadi and his story, Flowers of the Abyss. So, I can see that, uh, you know, and if we, being uh, that it's late fall, 
you know, if we were going to, you know, do something with a Mackin sort of idea, idea with it, it would be something maybe with the, uh, the entity, uh, Kernunos or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but Ligotti's always good for, uh, darkness and, uh, total bleak, you know, points of view. So I think going into the winter months, this is a good story to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking I'm not going to be good if we actually did this show in October, but I was like, once we hit to November, I was like, yeah, I, I'm feeling like more Ligotti, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, well, and I think Ligotti was one of the first writers that we kind of connected over as well. When I, when I first started communicating and us possibly, I think, uh, the, the thing that comes to mind is, uh, that Grant Morrison, uh, yeah, graphic the, novel. Yeah, nameless, the, yeah, nameless. Yeah, and that had uh, like a Lovecraftian sort of overtone to it, and that's well, um, that's yeah. Well, the irony is that um, so in the nameless at the back of it, um, uh, you know how he has like this kind of explication of each chapter or whatever or each issue and talking about what's yeah. going on. That's how I found out about Thomas Lagadi actually. Really. Yeah, it was wow. because he referenced um, the conspiracy against the human race okay. as a as an inspiration for the and like philosophical pessimism and all that kind of stuff. So that was apparently a big influence for him, inspiration for him for Nameless. And so uh, that that's where I was like, okay, this guy sounds interesting. Like I'm gonna check it out. And so the first Lugati book I bought was actually the conspiracy against the human race because of Grant Morrison. You want, you want to know something funny? That's What's where that? I tried. I tried to start with him on the same book as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like my Jeff Kashid, who um, is one of the co co-hosts at Necromaniacs, and also the former bass player in ISIS. Like he's a great old friend of mine, and yeah. he was the one who actually recommended Thomas Ligotti to me. And his electronic solo project, Crone has a lot of Ligotti references like in the titles and whatnot. So he right. was a big, big fan. And he's like, I think you'd enjoy this. So like, uh, just cause the title sounded cool. I ended up getting a conspiracy against the human race. Cause that's a, such a sick title, you know? And like, yeah. I, it was, that's not a good place to start though. You know, you have to no. you read the fiction. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, it's, it's a great book, very deep insights into that sort of a Schopenhauer esque philosophy that he has. But it's uh, it's not a good starting point to get to know the writer. Definitely not. No, yeah, and and to be honest, that's why it actually took me a couple of years to to circle back to Ligotti, like because you know the book was I was like okay that's interesting and all, but you know like it it didn't really. Uh, um, I think a part of it was just like okay, um, you need to check out his fiction, you know. And what happened ironically is that uh, it was it was actually in November. Um, you know, whatever, four years ago, whatever, I walked into a used bookstore, which I don't get a chance to go to as often because they're all uh, downtown. And I go in this used bookstore and sitting right there on the top of the stacks was Thomas Ligotti, Songs of Dead Dreamer and Grimscribe, the Penguin edition. So then uh, I had been thinking like, oh, I should pick up some Ligotti. And next thing I know, I find it sitting there. You know what I mean? At some bookstore. I felt like something that would happen like in a Ligotti story, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was like, the universe was placing these elements in front of you for sure. Yeah. And that was uh, my introduction to, to his stories. And then um, last year I decided to uh, dig in, get, I got kind of like 
even more like obsessed with his work and got all the rest of the story collections that you can pick up like uh teatro grotesco and um my work is not yet done and and all that kind of stuff but i, I couldn't find noctuary which needs a reprint real bad yeah i don't have that one to find yeah it's that's that's a sad i think a lot of that stuff is still out of print and uh, but I mean, you can still find like uh, songs with Dead Dreamer, Grim Scribe, and you know, Teatro Grotesco. All that stuff's pretty easy to find these days. Yeah, the, the, those three, like um, the the Penguin Collection and the Teatro Grotesco, and uh, my work is not yet done, are very easy to find. You know, affordable. But I, I definitely feel like we need a, a part two Penguin edition to collect the rest of his stories. You know, like because there's, I think. Um, what is it? There's. Let me look real quick. We. I think it says in here somewhere, doesn't it? Um. I was trying to see if they. Okay, I guess they don't have the list in the penguin, but. Oh, here we go. Noctuary, is like completely out of print. Like literally, to get that, it's like three hundred, four hundred dollars. You know. Um, and, uh, uh, Night Nightmare Factory, I think is another one. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I have that one. That's, that's actually the first, uh, fiction that I read. There's two volumes of Nightmare Factory, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of, so aside from those, like, few things, it's kind of hard to find. I'd also really love to, for there to reprint that, uh, interview book. Whereas there's the whole like book of interviews of Lugati. And I'm like, I want to read that, you know? <laughs> Dude, that I can't even imagine what it would be like having yeah. an listening to reading an interview with him that with that dude. That'd be incredible, I think. Yeah. Lugati's one of those funny people where um it kind of reminds me of Michael Gira in a way, where you kind of like his mindset and everything is so like almost alien to so many people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. You're kind of like, you're kind of like fascinated in a way. And sometimes you're like, you know, like he's just like very unique. And I always, I just wonder, you know, with Michael Gira, we know what he's like, you know, you know, you can watch interviews, listen to interviews. I watched a documentary about him. You know what I mean? But with Agati, I mean, I've never seen any video of him. And, uh, you know, I just get curious, like, what is he actually like? <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I you know, I, I know someone that in my mind, I've conjured up an image that Thomas Ligotti is a lot like this person that I know uh, that I used, I used to be in a band with this guy like years ago. I used to play bass and uh, this guy, I, I actually, you know what? I don't even know if he reads Thomas Ligotti, but I think that he would be a huge fan of his if he had but his personality and his point of view are, are consistent. And I can imagine the two being very much alike. Right. Yeah. The thing with Ligotti and his philosophy, which of course we'll probably get into more as we go through, but it's like, uh, there's times in my life where I've definitely can relate, you know, like where you, you know, you just feel like that kind of, uh, pessimism. I've, I've can relate to it sometimes, but overall in my life, I don't, I'm not, uh, don't, don't actually like, subscribe to the extreme pessimism of conspiracy against the human race but uh I, I do think sometimes it's uh it's kind of there's a kind of energy you get from kind of it's like the same thing when you listen to craft or something oh yeah like yeah that, 
it's just so you just get kind of a fun weird like kind of um i don't know like perverse energy like from from like kind of indulging in those kinds of thoughts you know what i mean <laughs> oh yeah definitely you know i mean i think like you know in some of my darkest moments uh you know i that's what i look at thomas Ligotti's philosophy as being like this is like exactly the ultimate truth of like what our reality is like you know when things are yeah. very dark you know and i've the last like year i mean everyone's had a really hard time but like you know there's been a lot of loss in my life in these last like couple of years and um you know, in those moments going through all that, you know, I'd sit here in my apartment by myself and just like think about like the shadow of the darkness, you know, that short story that he wrote and how that is like encapsulates my feelings about what the universe and reality really is. You know, there's like, we're just like these kind of, ref you know, reflections reacting to this mechanical force that's like pushing our physical body through space, you know, and it's like, it's hard, it's hard to like break once that once you're in the clutches of something like that, it's kind of hard to pull out of it, you know? So that's when I have to put the, these books down and, <laughs> you know, read, read like a werewolf story or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely like, you know, that, know that like when you get kind of like stuck in this uh, type of mentality, it can be kind of, I don't know, it's difficult. I mean, I do find though, I've created a lot of art from that point of view or music and there's a part of me that almost feels like what Thomas Gladdy was setting down, like conspiracy against human race, for example, is more than anything, I think his philosophy of his fiction, you know, sure. I think he's trying to explain somewhat, regardless of what his actual personal belief is or isn't, you feel like a sense that that is the philosophy of his fiction, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that that's, it's funny, like reading, um, you know, rereading tonight's story, you know, Flowers of the Abyss, like there's there's like kind of two different levels that you can ingest that story with. You know, there's like the the surface, just narrative of the story. And then say, say like you picked up a collection that had a bunch of different authors in it, and this was part of it, you know, mm. and you would read this one and you can enjoy it and appreciate it just with the narrative, the narration, like the actual story itself. But if you're like, placing it in the firmament of his philosophy i think that it gives a, a further depth to the short story you know what i mean yeah i agree and um i guess we can uh just the short it's pretty short story I'm, i think we can discuss like the the events of it and then spin off what our thoughts about it you know yeah you know and definitely every, anyone out there who's listening man don't don't listen to our uh you know cliff notes version of the story and think oh yeah I, i've read it you have to go out and read this all this stuff too man and this story yeah. in particular is a great short short so it only takes just a few moments of your life and that's it yeah know? i mean i read it like three times last night you know <laughs> like just to try to like kind of like and thinking about what it is and trying to you know kind of like think of what's going on and it's like uh in particular, like the thing with Vulgati is you really do need to read it. Like it's hard to, it's actually kind of hard. Like I've been thinking about how I'm going to, how to like explain it or just like go through what, how, what the story is. You really have to read it to really grasp like what's being said, you know, and because there's so much description and stuff going on in it, you know, it's like, it's not like a simple narrative really in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I mean, but the, actually, the story itself though is pretty straightforward. I mean, there's there's a town, and there's this house that's in ruins, and then there's a guy that's uh, the teacher of the young citizens, which is I always thought was like an an interesting way of referring to kids. <laughs> you know, yeah. they call them like <laughs> the younger citizens. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't have any kids himself. He's just a teacher. Yeah, and and it kind of starts off in that same way that a lot of Lovecraft stories start off, where it's you know some guys like, you know, I'm whispering these you know these thoughts to you, you know, like from the distance, and hopefully they find their way to you, and you know it has that same like madness, you know, you know that the story is is being recounted to you, and most likely the guy who's telling you the story didn't have a very good end, right? So. You know it almost reminds me of uh, remember that um, Lovecraft story where it's the the submarine one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and kind of starts off that way. Like he just puts like this message in a bottle. Like I'm yeah, this dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, even even Dagon is like that too. Dagon is like you know the guy's talking about you know where he was like washed up on this island and that kind of thing. And you know it's like this madness. You know the guy's probably going to commit, just about to commit suicide or something. You know, and he's like telling you the story before he checks out. You know. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I guess the thing that happens, that I guess the motivating factor of the story is that there's this abandoned house out there where something bad happened. You don't know what happened at first. You just know it was bad. And in the you know, it's kind of moldering. Like the the gardens have been let to go wild and. uh but all of a sudden there's somebody in there like, and that's why the citizens sent this, uh, this teacher to go. Cause he goes and walks in this area. So they want him to go and walk by and try to find out why there's this stranger in this, you know, abandoned kind of haunted house sounding thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, he comes up with some sort of storyline because there's a, there's a, a rainstorm coming. And it's like, oh, what better better reason to gain access to this house? But like, uh, hey, could you shelter me from the storm? You know, and then the uh, the inhabitor of the house was like, oh, I spotted you out in the woods. Uh, so we, I knew you were coming this way anyway. So come on in. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes in and uh, a few things happen. He goes to get water for the, for the teacher. And that one's, that's interesting because it's like the... The glass, the not glass, but the kind of it almost sounds like a bottle of wine, but it's it, he expects it's gonna be wine, but it ends up being like this water, but it's like the bottle is hot to the touch, but the water is cold, <laughs> which is kind of. And then there's yeah. another creepy like sentence where he's talking about how he can see the shadows that they're throwing on the wall, and they're they're sitting still, their shadows are like dancing or moving. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like typical uh, weird fiction stuff. You know? Yeah, it's very subtle, but it's definitely like unearthly. You know what I mean? Um, then um, yeah. So yeah, it says like, and while two of us were sitting still and silent, I saw those other two fidgeting upon the wall, as if windblown or perhaps undergoing some subtle torture. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now, now the other thing that's interesting is he pulls out this music box and uh, and like I remember reading this like because I I'd read this the first time I read this story was you know several years ago and uh, right away I started thinking of uh, the music of Eric Zahn like the the Lovecraft um, story 
except yeah. there's except not there's no music box in that story. It's a guy actually playing music, but it's like this bizarre, un, uncomfortable uh, sound. And that's what this box elicits is this like uncomfortable sound. And the guy just like, I want, I just want you to show you that there's, there's, there's this thing, this energy, you know, the madness of it all, or I think was the term that he used. Well, so he opens the box and starts making this noise. And it says uh, like in the story, it's like the music he almost brought him into like an out of body state. Yeah. And he said, it's like, like the silvery tones ascended and quivered like a swarm of insects. And uh, he's like, there's still beauty in this vision, however tinged it was with the sinister. Uh, but then he says, even at that point, I felt I could lose myself in the vastness spreading about me, tenebrous expanse, rich with unknown exploits. But then something began stirring, erupting like a disease, poking its horribly colored head through the cool blackness and chasing me back to my body. And uh, he calls it the madness of things. The madness of things, that's what it yeah. is, yeah. That, so, that that phrase comes up a lot throughout the story, the madness of things. Yeah, he's like saying that like um uh what was it? Uh the madness of things. And so he says like uh, the guy's saying that as a student of philosophy, he said, I want to learn the madness of things. And uh he says, If I you know, if I thought that I could face the madness of things, I thought then I would have nothing more to fear. I could live in the universe without feeling I was coming apart, without feeling I would explode if the madness of things that to my mind formed the very foundation of existence. I wanted to tear off the veil and see things as they are, not to blind myself to dream to them. And uh and basically the guy says, um uh, where is it? He says he asks if if the, if you succeed, and he's like, Oh yes. Only too well, I would say, I succeeded in tearing myself loose from all my fears, and even then from the world itself. Now I am a vagabond of the universe, a drifter among spaces where the madness of things has no limit. See, that's a very, very pivotal, very important part of the story, because um, like on one hand, if you're familiar with Ligotti's philosophy, um, it sort of fits into that as well, meaning that once he kind of broke down all these abstractions that everyone places on the reality, you know, like religion and all these other things that create fear and gives you the knowledge and, and understand what true reality is. And it kind of ties into his idea of like the shadow of the darkness where it's like, they're just, there's no life. It's just like this mechanical force driving you forward. Then fear leaves you because you realize that there's nothing to lose in, in any of this. You know, that's that's what I kind of got out of that statement, like when putting it up against his philosophy. But then if you're just reading the story and you're, you're not this is, say this is the first thing you've ever read by Ligotti. It's like it's like you somehow by this music, this noise, the sound, this embrace of the madness of things, you can see beyond what like there's there's like a, a, a larger universe out in that's larger than your existence and that allows you to not have any fear anymore you know what i mean that's at least what i got out of it yeah i think that um um yeah well and the guy says he says one year day after years of study and practice i gave myself over to whatever awaited me uh and he says that he's like one basically it's almost like he 
it's that type of thing where he basically went into the void in a way, you know, and now yeah. he's just wandering in the in through the darkness, like through these like inter this the space of of reality of true reality, you know, which makes and, me uh, think. What's that? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. You think Legati had ever done any psychedelic, uh, you know, substances? Perhaps I don't know. I mean, because this this is kind of like like really heavy duty like psilocybin like experiences. Um, that's you know kind of the experience is similar to what this gentleman is describing, and then when you come back from an experience that profound, you kind of like you know like I don't give a fuck like I lose my job I don't care you know just I saw like the bigger truth and everything you know right. It also um, seems to me kind of like a state of disassociation where, and I um, I mean uh, Lacan called a type of thing like the confrontation with the real or uh, Camus was talking about the absurdity confrontation with the absurd where mm -hmm. it's like when you have this kind of experience where the surface of fantasy that we project upon reality is completely torn apart and you're revealed like the underlying void at the at everything like create or the absurd the real like you realize that, that uh, you kind of see, yeah you like stripped like from a lot of what you thought was important and what was real and you know you're confronted with something else and and it's kind of like you have to live with that you know yeah yeah definitely but then like of course just on, on a purely entertainment level you know this uh you know this story satisfies as well you know what i mean it's just like okay this guy like was transported in some alternate dimension and then he brings something back with him well i think um what it says is that he comes um somehow though i always come back to this world as if i was some creature that returns on occasion to its home ground so that means he's become alien to, but he uh returns you know um but these places at which i arrive seem to draw me to them as if they have been prepared even invaded before me for there are always things, little items, that are just what I would expect. That music box, for instance. I looked around until I found something of that sort. By its designs, I could see it had been touched by the madness of things, and so could you, I noticed. What havoc it must have caused for those unready for such phenomena. What happened in this house? I can only wonder. So, it's like, it's like there's, it's like, it's like, um, uh he's uh in Lugati's fiction um there's always there's like the what you know the teatro grotesco it's like these people who have become one with the madness of things so they're almost like this malignant force or something you know what i mean where they are invading you know they kind of invade ours and infest, infest the world with this with this madness you know kind of like a I disease to, in a way i want to tie this to two other uh works one is another novella and uh, another one is a uh, is a different medium altogether film okay um, i think that um you know the the, the hellbound heart too <laughs> it's like oh yeah what would become what would become hellraiser like i remember I, I read this short story after i'd seen hellraiser like i saw hellraiser like in the 80s you know right. what i mean I, I, I didn't get to this until much later and I was like, oh, this music box is just like the uh, La, La Marchand configuration in the, in the Barker story. And also, I had seen Event Horizon after before I read this short story, too. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like it, it, I feel like both of 
maybe Barker and the guy who wrote Event Horizon, I like to think that they read this story and the idea of passing into another realm and coming back changed and bringing other, other things with you from this other reality into this reality. I think I like to feel like that concept is sort of like coming from this kind of, you know, like setup, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's like this music box, which was there, like is what drove these people insane. And they, the people who lived there had murdered each other basically. And they said the old man, uh, was a mess of hacked pieces, but he must have done it himself, judging by the axe that was still gripped in his dead hand. So he literally hacked himself to pieces. And I guess that's what happens to somebody who uh, is not prepared for the madness of things, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, now there was a part of me that felt like this guy that was inhabiting this place, this squatter, was was one of the family members at first. Right. There's part of me that was, you know, when I first read the story, I was like, oh, this guy's probably the last member of the family who, you know, who didn't kill himself or was killed by the other members, or maybe he killed everyone himself, you know? Yeah. But, but you kind of find out that he's actually nothing has nothing to do with these families. Right. He's like, exactly. He's like, like outside somehow. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like a squatter that's coming. Yeah. Out. He's like invaded the space from that other dimension that he's in of chaos that he's been wandering in, you know? Right. So he's, uh, he's like, come back. And, um, so yeah then he the stranger guy leads the narrator to go to look outside on the garden and he says um he said that what he saw in there was like the designs in a music box they look almost like flowers don't they so brightly colored as they shine in the night and yet when i first came upon them not in this body of course almost everything was dark but it wasn't as dark dark as a house is sometimes dark or as the woods are dark because of thick trees keeping out the light. It was dark only because there was nothing to keep out the darkness. How do I know oh, that this? line? <laughs> yeah. I, I love that line so much, man. There's nothing to keep out the dark. And I love that too. And I love this part. He's like, how do I know this? I know because I could see with more than my eyes. I could see with the darkness itself. With the darkness, I saw the darkness. It was immensity without end around me, unbroken expansion, dark horizon meeting dark horizon. And there are also things within the darkness, and I believe within my own form, so that I could reach out to touch them across the universe of darkness. I also reached deep inside of myself, such as it was. Yet all I could feel were those things, those flowers. To touch them was like touching light and colors and a thousand kinds of bristling and growing shapes. In all that darkness, which let me see with my see with itself, these things squirmed—a wormy mass that was trying to make itself part of me. I must have brought them here when I came to this place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like this other these things followed him from whatever realm of chaos this guy was existing in. You know, I'll, I think that's a, an amazing like description of of the void in a way. You know, like. You know, like um, before we were talking about uh, the deplorable word and like the, yeah. the void and, and all that stuff. Um, it's not, That's what it sounds like. It sounds like he's in this depersonalized state. Like he's not, he's like in the void. You know what I mean? Like it's a, this immensity of darkness and, you know. Well, that that's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I felt the same thing. Um, I mean, 
I, the first time I read this uh, short story, I hadn't read the deplorable word, but right, since yeah. <laughs> I re- recently, you know, just to prepare for our conversation, I, I read this story a couple of times last week and you know, I read the deplorable word over the summer. And I was like, man, this sounds exactly like the abyss, like the idea of this like roiling, just like blackness, you know, formless with where, where it's like reality is born from that. You know, it's like this lower realm where reality and it's and material like springs up from this area and this wormy wriggling material is trying to like uh actualize itself you know what i mean like in this realm that this guy currently finds himself you know yeah it's like um i like how he describes it. it's like reaching out but he's actually reaching within at the same time like it's so like it's kind of a mind fuck to think about but I think is very interesting and I, I think that the whole concept is fascinating like this idea and and that that is the madness of things that that is what if you strip back our reality all there is is this void you know this this abyss you know and that's something i actually believe so it's it's kind of funny you know yeah yeah that definitely i mean you know there's there's um you know principles in uh you know in physics and whatnot where like most you know, solid matter is mostly emptiness. You know what I mean? It's like the atoms, neutrons and photons, it's almost like they have this agreement to stay in one form, you know? And there's like, it's like probability and statistics and all that sort of stuff, which determines what shape this material will stay in, these atoms arrange themselves in. So, you know, like if you think, that's that's what I think about the abyss. When I think of the abyss, I think it's just like the emptiness that actually makes up most of our material world. Right, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's interesting when you think about that, it's like all that keeps uh, material things is, is kind of like, um, for some reason, that's just, you know, that's the way that they come together. You know, like we don't, I don't think in a way we understand why these no. things agree to do that, you know? Yeah, you know, it's like when you listen to like, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about, you know, the cosmos and, you know, how, you know, where are everything, all of our atoms are that the same materials that are out in the universe somewhere, you know, and it's like, it's like there is almost like this mechanical force that is creating an agreement between all these particles to assemble themselves as like a person or like a table or like a rock. You know, or like a guitar or something like that. You know, it's right. like, you know, it's like there's really why, like, why the hell did that even happen? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the darkness, the 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 darkness, the shadow. You know, there's like this mechanical impetus that is just pushing everything forward. You know. Yeah, and what's interesting about this story is that, in a way, it's like this um, this darkness also because it's it's beyond the material like what we uh what we perceive for example like is showing the truth of things it also acts as kind of like um i don't know it seems to destabilize reality in a way and this is something that you see in a lot of Lagatti's stories is that this force because it's because it is the essential nature of things is the for can actually destabilize our our conventional reality in very like bizarre ways you know what i mean so when it enters into when it kind of 
when it kind of shows itself or breaks through into our reality, it creates these situations in which our reality is, is completely just shown to be, a, you know, that's all it is. It's just like an agreement among things that when that agreement uh, comes to an end, it just kind of falls apart. You know what I mean? Well, it's also like the idea of entropy. You know, I think that, um, you know, like when, when you look at physical reactions or chemical reactions or any kind of process that happens, like there's certain losses that, that a result, say if you burn something, you know, you have like a piece of wood and you light it on fire. If you calculate how much energy heat and heat will come out of that burning process. It never, there, there's like a difference in what it, your actual measured quantities are because there's an entropy element to that. Right. And a lot of, a lot of times, you know, you hear about the laws of entropy about how things are getting more and more random in the universe and things are breaking down and falling apart. And then there's like, you know, differences between if you add things up and they don't equal what's on the other side of the equation, there's like these X factors, these entropy factors. And I think that's why a lot of this, like, destructive forces that Ligotti talks about in his writing that come from the void. I feel I, I, I choose to think of that as like entropy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it is this kind of entropy, entropic like type of uh, types of manifestations of the void, you know? Yeah. And uh, it seems to be like these flowers seem to be some type of a thing like this, you know? Like they're living in this garden, they don't like the light, actual light. Like when they they bring they go out to look at them with like the the can the lantern, right? And it's like yeah. trying to flee from the light. And our narrator gets closer and closer to it, you know. And the guys like, uh, you should you shouldn't if they're you know the light lantern goes out or something, you'll be swallowed by it. I don't think you're prepared for the madness of things, you know. <laughs> and then sure enough that's what happens and this guy our narrator apparently gets swallowed by the the flowers essentially <laughs> yeah yeah and then he appears in uh, the town town people's dreams like they show up and some people's dreams he appears yeah and he tells them to uh go and burn the house and burn the the flowers and the garden and everything like that you know <laughs> it's uh and yeah it's it's interesting it's like uh I love that the end of this is like, uh, do not let them take you too into into their unearthly realm. Uh, come then and close my eyes. Murder the beings into which they have been drawn. Then shudder your minds as well, so you, as you can, to the abyss that is home to the madness of things. It's the last line of the story. That's a great ending, man. And I think that uh, it, you, it's like it's like the thing swallowed him, you know. And now I don't, it's it's interesting because I'm like not sure if now he's existing within is he existing within the madness of things like these flowers you know is he like held in trap with that he thinks he's gonna get uh let go if they burn it well maybe uh that. like the same way that this other guy who's the stranger in the house the way he appeared he was drawn to these places, you know, I, I was let, you know, made me feel like there's other places throughout the universe where this guy might pop up and become, you know, another, a stranger in some other place that has this, these, these energies around it. You know, I mean, the music box itself, like, I think he made a statement about how long that box had been in that house. And that's what, 
you know, they found this box there and the former, uh, you know, people that live there, they, 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 that was what caused them to kill, kill each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like things get touched by this, this madness and cause it to spread. It almost feels like it's positing it almost as like, um, a disease or, you know, like, uh, or some type of, I don't know. It's just like, it's something that, that infects the reality and breaks it apart. So I do think what you're saying about entropy is true. I think it is like a entropic force. It's like, but magnified into like this, like being, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I, I remember, you know, studying physics in college, like, you know, when I was going to going to college and studying like engineering and physics and all that stuff, like, when they started talking about entropy, it felt like really dark to me, you know, um, you know, like 18 years old, you know, like, or 19 or it was when I took physics. So they were talking about entropy and how the movement of the universe is toward randomness and chaos. And I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. This is like, <laughs> like some Lovecraftian like shit, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting about that as you think about it, is it would like increase the likelihood of of these types of breakdowns of reality, you know? Yeah, no, as, totally. As we move towards that kind of entro entropy, like uh, entropic entropic like state of of existence, you know, like is that is that what Ugadi's positing? You know, I wonder. Could be, man. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, that that's that's a lot of what I take away from some of his his stories. You know, like especially this story particularly. You know, is that. You know, there's like this movement towards chaos and that what we look at as rationality is like almost like a temporary state and like the temp the permanent state, the natural state of things is chaos and, you know, the void and places, things like that, you know, and like reality and rationality just kind of sprang up, spring up from these places and they exist for a certain period of time and then they just get destroyed ultimately. Right. Well, Gotti's idea that he, that he shows him against uh, conspiracy is that uh, consciousness is a curse, kind of. You know, like <laughs> he sees oh, consciousness yeah. as like an aberration. That that he sees it because we're aware of our state. You know what I mean? Of the nothingness, and so it's so it's almost like he sees consciousness as like some type of uh, negative thing. You know what I mean? Because it makes us self-aware unlike an animal so it's in his book in that book he's almost positing like mankind should just be like an animal like you know what i mean <laughs> well it's true I, I i agree with him actually you know what i mean it's like animals don't, don't aren't aware of any of these things that we talk we talk about you know the things that we're talking about are creations of our own intellect you know and which is cool i mean i i life to me is things like this like i love you know reading and talking about stuff but it, it doesn't what what good does it do really in at the in the big picture you know is it better just to go out there and like hunt and kill and reproduce because really that's kind of like what our ultimate goal is is to keep our 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 genes moving forward through time you know not to write poetry or make music or make paintings or anything like that the things that you and i both love to do they're almost like irrelevant to the actual calling of uh you know, of our, of our, our species, you know what I mean? Yeah. Although it's interesting because as long as humans have been around, we've created art. So it's almost that, an expression. It's still like, it's inherent to us in some way. You know what I mean? Yeah, not exactly. You know, so, yeah, it's, 
it, it's just like one very severe way of looking at like reality and life and that kind of stuff yeah it's very yeah it's a very severe one where it's just like yeah the consciousness is a curse like and all that stuff but i kind of get it though sometimes because it's like uh you have these moments particularly in certain moments in life it does feel like a curse because you you know you're conscious and aware of certain things that you maybe wish you weren't you know hundred <laughs> percent man hundred percent that's exactly you know, I feel, I've felt that in many moments of my life where I just kind of wish I didn't understand any of these things. Yeah. But I think um, for me, though, like ultimately like, where I break from uh, Ligotti is that I agree with him that uh, of the essential nature of, of, of reality is this kind of madness or the abyss or the void and all this stuff. But I think that true, maybe because, because of the uh, like esoterics, uh, practices i believe that are our, our actual you know what what we have to do is just learn to accept those things you know what i mean and and uh not be tormented by them all the time you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no i mean there's there, there's another whole aspect to that too is that like the, the fact one of the one of the things that helped us survive and succeed as a uh, species is uh the idea of data data chunking where we can like look at we can make sense out of certain random things and use that to predict how they would behave you know and um instead of like understanding every facet like say you're being chased by like uh you know a mountain lion or something like that like our our minds like we'll look at that overall shape and right away we know what to do run away or you know rather than be like oh it's you know it's tan it's got these teeth you know, like focusing on every little detail until by doing that, we get eaten. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we look at it as one piece of data and we look at the overall shape of that thing and we know what to do. And that's like an oversimplified version of what, you know, thing I'm trying to say, but like the fact that as a species, we can look at, look at chaos and place like superimpose some kind of structure to that is what helped us survive as a species you know, and, and thrive right. and, you know, develop an intellect and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But yeah, I mean, I suppose on some level though, I mean, it is chaos, but do you think that chaos and um, all that stuff has a natural propensity to create form? Like in the sense that like chaos creates patterns and, and form or like, and that which then dissolves into entropy. Like that's kind of what I think. I think that, chaos forms order and then order turns to chaos you know like there's like a uh kind of cycle you know what i mean yeah i mean, i i think so i mean the fact that um you know just like it's funny that so much of what we're talking about has to do with math mathematics and like physics and all that sort of stuff i mean there's even like you know to solve certain equations you have to use like imaginary numbers and things like that so you know that kind of plays into that idea that like you know, you have to, some things are known and some things are chaotic and it's kind of like a dynamic system where things change and chaos is like a, maybe a more of a natural state, but this order kind of assembles itself and then just disappears, you know? Right. It's like a transitory in a way. Yeah. Transitory order. And it's probably partially that whole aspect of, of things, um, agreeing you know the atoms agreeing to, to form themselves into certain shapes or whatever you know what i mean 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something I think about. I'm like, like that. That this this is like right now, like the Adams agreeing stuff is like kind of like bro science, I guess, where it's like, you know, like a a, a sort of like a arcane way of saying it. You know, it's like right. yeah, you know, it's, they make an agreement to become like a table or something. <laughs> right. <you> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean it's not the actual like scientific term or anything, but. I mean, you probably know more about a lot of those types of things than I do because, I mean, you, your daily job is it being an engineer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, Unfortun uh, Unfortunately, that job doesn't address these types of uh, issues on a day-to-day -day basis. But, yeah. Right. But, you know, like the, as far as, like, mathematics and, and uh, yeah, those yeah, types definitely. of things. Sure. Uh, never been one of my uh, higher – those kind of high mathematics have never been, like, one of my specialties. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> – yeah, the um, yeah, I think uh, I think Ligotti. It's one thing that I try to grasp hold of with his with his work is what is he saying like in a way? How does it fit together? Because I, the immediate feeling that I got, particularly last year when I read through everything of his that I could, is that there is a Ligotti mythos in a way that all the sure. stories are set in this kinds of world in a way that he you know like. Into in and are grounded in this philosophy that he sets out in conspiracy, you know, and that that there there seems to be because you'll find as you read all the stories that there are like the was that one uh, Neth Escurial? Oh yeah, that's God. yeah. Like that that shows up in other stories, you know. They have he has a story bit about that being or whatever it is, and then it shows up uh, in reference uh, in other stories like in Teatro Grotesco and stuff and. He seems to be positing almost like a kind of it's it's a it's a that irony of it of an order in that chaos right that there are in this madness and things there's still uh there's beings that that um exist in that you know what i mean and create these little groups of order and like the teatro grotesco seems to be like a little like a group of these you know maybe like a, i don't know like almost I, i'm not sure what the right word is but like an organization in a way of these uh <laughs> These sure. these entity these people who maybe have gone into the madness of things and become like entities of of the abyss in a way you know what I mean that's what I tend took from it yeah definitely you know and I mean it fits in because as we as we both know um you know Thomas Ligotti is a huge uh you know H P Lovecraft was a big influence on him and of course we all know that Lovecraft created his own mythos you know around his old 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 gods and you know, as a though and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think, I think Lugati kind of did a similar thing and in a similar way as Lovecraft where it's not, it's not like he like went and like, like the kind of like Durlesque way of like, all right, A is B, you know, A, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kind of rip off, like, like kind of low rent version of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like there is obviously something underlying what he's put, pointing out but you're only learning it like in fragments through each story you know what i mean like but you feel like there's something else like going on as well that he's got mechanic things going on under the surface you know yeah he it's more of like a uh, he hints at a larger mythos you know what i mean like you were saying he doesn't out and out like state that okay this is my pantheon of deities you know and these are the cults that worship them and this is you know, it's like they're barely, barely in his stories in a, in a significant way, but there's like a hint of like a larger mythology that's going on with this with his work. Yeah, and like, um, 
And I think that he, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, another common theme, which is shown in, which is in this story is the idea of certain places having this kind of, uh, energy that leads you to this kind of they almost act as like gateways or you know like or certain places where abnormal things can occur where reality shifts and it's like changed you know what i mean like uh you see that in a lot of his stories like um uh the last feast of the harlequin i think it's called like mm-hmm. that's kind of happens in that one where they do this ritual and and you know you go to this place and it's like things are thing things aren't what they seem you know what i mean there's that one story that doesn't quite fit in though it's the one it's his one like heroic fantasy story that he has it's um uh tragedy of a sword yeah uh, yeah that that's that's the only one that doesn't quite fit the mold i think that one has more of like uh like it takes you know it's like a sword and sorcery kind of story but obviously his own version of that you know what i mean yeah the masquerade of the dead sword that's it. Mas- masquerade of a dead of the dead sword, a tragedy. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. 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 That one's a little bit different. And uh yeah, if I mean it feels like I do feel like he maybe co- like really codified some of these things more with like Teatro Grotesco, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like I feel like in, in Songs to Dead Dreamer and Grimscribe, there's like hints of these things, but they're like developed more in Teatro, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, that story is a good one. I remember you and Ralph covered it on. Uh, oh yeah, Patreon. yep, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That one's uh, like I kind of wish he would, he had done more stories like that because you know I like I like that kind of stuff too. You know, I like you know sword fights and you know people wearing masks and stuff like that. You know, it's yeah. like it's just it's fun. You know, I I would like to have him you know have him do more more stories like that. You know, yeah, and and it's still fat fit into Lugati in a way because of you know the the whole spectacles and stuff that were showing him like the madness you know what i mean like um that's right yep that's yeah. a good point so in a way it still fits in because i think in that it's a relating to the madness of things you know it's because i think he's positing that there it's almost like from beyond where you see into this other thing and everything's like eating each other and all this kinds of stuff. And you're seeing like reality and like, just like everything devouring each other and stuff, you know, (laughs) I kind of feel like that's a, an idea of Lugati as well is that underneath like the veneer, the surface of reality, there's this like madness of the shadow, the darkness, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I like to look at it too, you know? And, and, um, yeah, it was like one of my favorite movies, you know, event horizon, you know, <laughs> like when, when the, not the Nostromo, um, yeah, the event horizon, that's the name of the ship that gets sent into hell like that. When they come back, like they're killing each other, like, you know, fucking yeah. ch- changed and all that, you know, it's just, I, lo- I love that idea that there's like this other realm out there that's parallel or above or below or to the side or whatever that, you can cross into and we'll just like change you, you know, and you, and you can come back and go back and forth, but you're changed, you know? Yeah. It's changed you on a fundamental level where even like your flesh like transforms, you know, like where 
uh yeah i mean that's that's something that i'm like obsessed with in a lot of ways like i love anything that like that's one reason like i love like silent hill which i just did a podcast episode about yeah <laughs> oh totally yeah i, I actually want i want yeah you know I, I never really um like i want to check out the more of the game actually yeah definitely i mean the game the movie is okay uh but it doesn't quite capture the, the yeah full picture of the games you know what i mean and yeah the uh even if you like watch like a gameplay through of it or something like that on youtube or something like and just to get an idea of like what is going on in the game is amazing like and it has a lot of relevance to Lugati, and I almost am, although I never heard the creators really mention Lugati too much, I, they have to have been influenced by him because uh, there's a lot of Silent Hill that feels very Lugati-esque, you know? <laughs> yeah, you and I talked about that. I remember I, I, I watched the movie um, and you're, you referred it to me, and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it has, yeah. And in the game, it's like uh, even more so like this this kind of force from outside, like changing reality, you know, reality shifts. It's less like in that movie is almost like you go to another world and you're in this other, you know, maybe like parallel dimension or something. And uh, in in the games, it's almost more like that for this kind of like literally like Lugati, like dark force from kind of outside or under you know from that madness of things or whatever is like kind of infest like invading our our reality and changing it you know what i mean let me ask you a question do you have a game a gaming system or do you do it on your pc i have a ps2 so a ps2 play, yeah so i play like the uh um uh, the some of the games like I, I don't have the first one like i used to play it with my friend i did the podcast with because he had it and we played a bunch of times but i have the second the third and fourth ones though so now, do you do you recommend getting a ps2 or doing the doing a pc like uh you know game like what, what what's your recommendation on that well if you can um i guess like it comes down to if you can find a they might be like kind of like some type of thing where you can download it and play it on a PC, maybe if they've done like a console port or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I do think I never tried that out, but I have heard that those things exist where somebody's like kind of created like a, a program that basically runs like PlayStation games and you have to download, but I don't know how exactly it works. You could do some research into it. Right, uh, right. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, you, you get a PS2 and and you can get the the games. Like the funny thing is that like so Silent Hill two and three are pretty affordable still. Silent Hill one though went from being like pretty affordable to like very expensive, like two hundred dollars in the last over the last couple of years. Which damn two hundred damn that is expensive. Wow. Yeah, it was like Silent Hill one a couple years ago, and I wish I had picked it up when it was. It was like fifty bucks or something. You know what I mean? Right and on. now it's like two hundred. I don't know why that happened. It's crazy. Damn. But yeah, but, but Silent Hill two and three you can get for pretty pretty affordable prices, and it's it's really like I don't really play video games very much, but that's one that I play because um, you know they're like art pieces, you know, like sure. in a lot of ways. So well, it's funny. I, I used to be. I played games like years and years ago, and um, I, I would like actually the same dude that I played in a band with that 
I, I imagine is exactly like Thomas Ligotti. Like we um, we used to play play games and would just blow like the entire weekend of like just you know engrossed in playing playing games. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like and uh, but then I was like, man, I, I'm not getting anything done. I need to like, you know, because I'm obsessive, man. You know what I mean? It's like if I if I latch on to something, I'm like about it. You know what I mean? And, right. Yeah. Uh, at least back then, I was like really excessive about about things like that. So I had to like curtail my um, my game playing, and then I was like, I had to swear it off completely. Otherwise, I would never be able to get anything done. So right. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, I, I I go deep, man. If I you know anything like that you know if it's interesting and that but only recently i started seeing like like maybe last year i started um checking out how sick these games look man there's a whole bunch of like like cthulhu and like lovecraft you know sort of games out there and i watched a bunch of playthroughs on it and there's like a shadow over innsmouth one and uh and it's like a movie man it's insane and i'm like man I i should check this out like i'm you know, I'm an adult now. I'm older. You know, I'm more mature. You know, I can probably like manage my time a little bit better. You know, maybe I won't spend like an entire week of my in my time just playing <laughs> these games. You know, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's enticing though. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they have particularly today. I mean, there's like tons of amazing looking horror games and stuff in particular. I'm like out, you know, and and uh, yeah. I mean, the um, I'm kind of like I don't. I'd have to buy like a PS4, or PS5, or whatever, which maybe eventually I will. It's like just to play some of these newer games, you know, because there are definitely some cool games. I guess like for me, I don't have like a huge amount of excess time, you know. Oh yeah, dude, totally. Yeah. So it's like uh, I have to be very careful, like with like what I'm doing in my extra with the time I have. I either, you know, it's like so it's yeah. like. Uh, it's kind of like one of those things you have to balance it. You know, it's like, okay, maybe today I'll play some of this game for a couple hours and then tomorrow I'll do something else. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's exactly how I am, man. I, 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 but I think I have the discipline to keep things together. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I'm going to like, it's nothing else is going to suffer. You know what I mean? Not my real personal stuff that I work on a job or anything, you know, band yeah. things or podcasting. <laughs> Like no, it's not nothing's gonna suffer. I think I have it under control enough to do that. Right, you're not gonna get like uh, obsessed like where you're like staying up like f- for 48 hours just playing a game and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember like when Doom when Doom came out, I I was playing that like like obsessively, and I would go to sleep and I would see it in my dreams. Man, it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's kind of how it was, you know. And I was like, this has to stop. You know what I mean? Otherwise, I'm not gonna get anything done. Yeah, and Doom was awesome. Like, uh, and uh, another game from back then that I was obsessed with for a long time was Diablo, the original Diablo. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's I was a good like one obsessed. Too. I used to play. I put in so many hours in that game. Uh, yeah, well, you know who else was uh, obsessed with Doom was uh, Tra- um, Trey Azigzoff from. Um... Yeah, I heard about <laughs> that. Yeah, makes sense. I guess. I guess, I guess yeah. he's like an obsessive gamer, but I guess yeah, back in the day, he was just like spent every waking moment that he could playing Doom. <laughs> 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 I could see that. Where it was like having problems, like problems on the band, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, that's that's pretty upset. That's that's crazy. <laughs> well, you you don't get to play guitar like that guy, I guess, unless you have an obsessive personality, you know. Oh yeah, I'm sure he. I'm sure growing up, all he just sat around playing guitar, like you know, 
I heard that he would just like literally just like walk around playing guitar constantly, like everywhere, you know. I saw a bunch of footage on YouTube of like, uh, you know, in Florida, bands used to rent those uh, storage units to practice in. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like the, there'd be like these outdoor storage units where you put like, you know, your, you know, whatever, your personal stuff. Back then in Florida, they were bands would rent those and they would just practice in those fucking things. Well, right? I saw um, Cannibal Corpse did that up until pretty recently, right? Because, I mean, they, yeah. in that um, four hour documentary about them, they, they were in a, a storage area, like storage unit like that, rehearsing still. Yeah, apparently down there, that's like, it's like up here, you have to rent like a, there's like a, usually a building, buildings that have like storage, like, I'm um, sorry, uh, practice spaces in them. Right. But in Florida, that's, that's what those buildings are, are basically just storage unit spots. And, yeah. uh, and like, but I saw this one video of like old school, like Morbid Angel, just like shredding with the door open. They're like standing outside, like just ripping yeah, like it's so cool, man. I, it's just, it just seems like such a wild way to rehearse, like in a fucking storage <laughs> unit. But I guess, I guess it doesn't ever get cold down there, really. You know, like parts no. of Tampa. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like it'd be kind of hot though. Oh yeah, dude, absolutely, yeah. be kind of hot for sure. Like real hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how hot those. Well, I mean, they're all made of concrete, so they probably don't get like that hot because it's concrete. But I don't know. The thing is, I mean, so if, if the band like a, it's basically just a corrugated metal like building, <laughs> it's just like not insulated, so it probably it's pretty hot in there. Yeah, well, I'm thinking too that they're made out of like concrete, right? So it's like I don't know. I mean, it, probably what would happen though is if you got a bunch of sweaty dudes getting all hot in there, it's gonna get hot. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I know, like, even in a rehearsal space, you get, like, four guys in a rehearsal space, and if it's too small, it's, like, gets all fucking sweaty. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> even in the middle of winter. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, I was going to say, yeah, the, uh, so right at this point in time, the only game I really some go to is, like, Silent Hill, really anymore. But, yeah, I've been, I, I would like to check out some of these new horror games and, um, I haven't really played too many of them, though, like the newer ones. I, I'm really, uh, you know, interested in dipping my toe back into gaming again. Like I said, I think that, you know, I got it together enough where I'm not going to blow like every free moment playing. And I could, you know, cordon off a few hours like on a weekend to, you know, do something like that. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, definitely. I think it- I think it's fun. These new games are like literally they are like movies. I mean, I think that video games have really uh, progressed to of kind of like, you know, like uh, games like Silent Hill were kind of pointing the pointing the way in a way of like games being like this kind of cinematic artistic experiences, you know. And it's like now, like that's there's a lot of games that have that, you know, where they are like literally like pieces of art, you know. Yeah, totally, man. The um, we had I've always been obsessed with that that those kinds of ideas of like that we started this whole off, which is like things changing. Like you said, with Event Horizon, for example, they go in this place and they come back and it's like transformed. Or um, I'm trying to think of um another. There's like something else I was thinking of. Uh, 
just like where or like um you know in possession the movie where she yeah. gives birth to this like fucking monster thing and everything you know what i mean like like uh i like this it's almost like her maybe her uh internal like pain and stuff has been externalized into this actual thing you know what i mean i like all those kinds of stuff where reality transforms in this way i just find it really like fascinating you know have you you've seen you've seen her at horizon right definitely oh, yeah. you've seen that yeah i was gonna say yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah sometimes you know there's people out there who haven't seen that movie you know what yeah I mean? yeah i've seen it i my friend let me borrow that new uh blu-ray that came out it was last year or whatever and i went yeah <laughs> it's like i thought there was going to be a lot more stuff on it because i got the same blu-ray i think but i mean it's yeah. cool but it's like you know yeah i was looking at it, i was like i thought i thought there would be more on it as well but there's not really a lot but I've been meaning to to uh, planning on rewatching it. I did go on like uh, I watched Possession, and that made me go to watch uh, In the Mouth of Madness. And then I was planning on watching Event Horizon, but I hadn't gotten to it yet. So I'm gonna. I've been kind of on a kick of that kind of stuff, anyways. So I'm gonna watch that. So. Yeah, the um, Prince of Darkness too is another movie that kind of think it, it, uh, is a Legatian kind of thing, you know. Uh, that that always reminds me a little bit of some of the stories that he has. Yeah, I would agree because you got this thing that is like darkness, you know, it's like madness. Yeah. Like it's the way that it looks like this kind of, it reminds me of some of the types of things he describes in his stories. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, you get the sense that, you know, they're talking about Satan and God, but it's just words that humanity has used to describe these abstractions, you know, and I guess that's like kind of like one of the, like reading Thomas Ligotti's work has molded the way I see things. I think in that way where it's like, almost like, like there's no good or evil, you know, it's, there's just things. And these terms that we use to describe them are just abstract ideas that we use. We all agree that this is, you know, yeah evil evil is this thing right but that's only because you we all agree that that's evil you know well <laughs> and there's certain things that some people think is evil that other people's don't or you know like I, I, that that's right yeah or yeah. or like you know with god and satan like uh you know good at people immediately you know are conditioned to classify as good and evil but what if it's not good and evil you know what i mean what if it's something else and and then the other thing is that good and evil don't in a way don't actually mean anything that's just a human construct you know like yeah i agree with you it's like these things in some way are just like the handiest term that we have in a way for the human right. brain to understand it but the reality is that is that nothing really corresponds to our words in a way our words are just an uh our 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 attempts to formulate some type of of Thing that helps us understand what we're intaking you know what i mean but sometimes yeah. those words can be delusions as, as well like the words can separate us from the uh inherent meaning of things you know but that that idea though is like very very liberating though i mean it's um you know when you get like so much like these arts not to get political but like you know we just had primaries and a ton of uh you know christian nationalists you know what i mean like that whole movement is like an absolute 
idea of what is right for a very small group of people. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think what those guys are into is fucking pure evil, you know? Yeah. But to them, that's exactly the, the way, the way to live your life. You know what I mean? So it's all relative. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. Like, you know, in their, their eyes, we're Satan or something. We're evil. You know what I mean? And yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like, well, well, we think they're evil because, you know, we stand for people having freedom and, you know, like not, absolutely not having like these types of like fanatical beliefs being inflicted on everyone else, you know? Thing is, too, it's like I, I almost if, if they if people weren't trying to push their agendas on on everyone, I wouldn't give a shit what they thought about things. You know, if like they're like, well, for me, this is how I want to live my rules. These are my how my life is going to be lived. Yeah, exactly. I'd be like, hey, man, you know, do you great, you know, peace, you know, peace be with you, you know. But when it turns into, well, these are my ideas and now you have to live by my ideas. That's when that's that's evil to me. When yeah. I would trying to, yeah. You know, like live and let live. But don't hurt anyone and don't try to hurt me, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, yeah, not to get political, but it's like the idea of like law in our country is that there's the idea that that law is like neutral, that it's equal for everybody and that everybody has the right to to, you know, go about the way they want to live their lives and they don't. But they don't have the right to inflict their ideas on other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, then I do think you're crossing over into that spectrum of, uh, of evil, you know, cause it's often done and, you know, you're hurting people and stuff like that, you know, like, but, uh, you know, they think they're good and it's, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating. The, the fact that, you know, people can murder other people and, and then think that they're good, you know? Well, dude, the thing that kills me about these Christ Christians is that they're like, uh, you know, against abortion, but you can walk around with a fucking assault rifle. Like they think that's sick to have like, like a, an AR-15 or whatever, you know, and blow people. Away. I think that's like, it's so insane, really, you know? Well, here's a greater insanity is to be pro-life, but, but pro-death penalty. Some of them are. <laughs> exactly, man. You know? It's like it's like uh, those things don't go together. <laughs> no, absolutely, no, totally, man. You know, it's like you know, very, very irrational to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand any of those types of types of people like who are so like um, have no self awareness to the point that they're n not even aware that they're spouting off the opposite of what they say that 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 they that they're like they believe the opposite of what they say to believe. You know what I mean? Or Howard at Eric's, you know, like they're they say one thing, but then they're doing another, or they're doing one thing and they say, and you know, like this, they just like don't seem to have any awareness that what they're doing is contradicting what they say, or you know what I mean? Yeah, not totally. Yeah, it's like it's very, very like confusing to me because I don't know. I mean, I try not to be like that myself try to have self-awareness that uh that uh you know you're not like acting a complete hypocrisy you know <laughs> don't think it's that hard exactly man hey have you um checked out any of the new american horror story i haven't i uh i have to say man it's pretty good yeah yeah and 
I'm like a I'm I'm an apologist for that show because uh, I watched even the bad seasons, you know, and they're like, oh, this is great, you know. But <laughs> this new this new one is like, it's it, I, I recommend it to people who even don't necessarily like the show because it's like a, it has a whole totally different vibe. It's almost more like a uh, police procedural in this season, and it takes place in New York, and it's like a uh, you know kind of cruising like early '80s, you know, kind of thing. It's like a serial killer. It has like that American giallo kind of vibe to it at times. You know? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's supposed to be kind of like a tribute to cruising, right? Yeah, well, yeah. There's There there are scenes that are like very much identical to some of the scenes of cruising. You know what I mean? Right. Um, specifically, there's a scene with um, this big, uh, one of the cops comes in with like a jock strap on and the cowboy hat and smacks this dude around which is exactly a scene in, in cruising. So, right. Yeah. So yeah, they're kind of the, uh, I think so far my favorite season, I haven't watched every season of that show, but I really like the hotel season a lot. Yeah, dude. It's like, you know, I, I thought it was a cool show. It wasn't great. Not really, but you know, it, it was for like, for a TV show, I thought it was pretty cool. I, it was fun. You know, I came out in Halloween and, you know, I enjoyed it, you know. Yeah, I, I I'm not gonna go to the mats for it and defend it too hard, but like I, I liked it, you know. Right. You know, very innocuous kind of stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I like some like the hotel one. I thought had a cool style to it. I liked the fact that they're playing like Joy Division and Sisters of Mercy. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, actually, Joy Division Shadow Play is uh is they they have a pretty decent uh soundtrack. For uh, for this season too, and also the score is actually really good too. Whoever did the film score has really cool music in it. I always like the um the kind of uh um music for the for the title credits, like particularly in like the first season. It's like that kind of weird like witch house sounding music, you know? What yeah. I mean? mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. That. that stuff's really cool. I mean, I, I I a few years ago I like got super like obsessed with like all that witch house like electronic music. I was like, I like, I just like the the sound of it and the vibe of it, like this real dark electronic, you know. The only one of those artists I got into was that band, uh, was Salem. Do you know that one? Yeah, Salem. Yeah, they're cool. What's what's some other stuff that I should listen to in that style? Uh, let's me think. Um, there's a band called Fraunhofer Diffraction. Okay. Uh, they they kind of changed, but their their earlier albums, I think they have one called like Vices or something. That I really like has um, a couple of really cool songs on it, um, and then um, there's a band called what's well, it's called like Amon or Damon I guess, but it's kind of spelled like the Greek A, this kind of Greek oh, right. letter, and it's A I M O N Amon. I just call it Amon, but uh, that one's one of my favorites. Like it's really cool, like super dark, kind of um, kind of occult vibes, like. Um, has some elements that kind of remind me of uh like sound hill soundtracks actually like it's very cool so that's one i'd recommend and that's uh, pretty cool yeah that one that one's probably one of my favorites of the of those bands yeah say almost good um white ring have you heard white ring no i haven't that one i definitely white recommend ring. as well yeah okay white ring. hell yeah and, and then you have like the kind of other style side of it, which was like more like Crystal Castles, and you got like bands like Sidewalks and Skeletons and stuff, which is kind of more in that vein. But yeah, definitely White Ring and Amon 
I would say a dude for sure you should check out because those ones are cool. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, I did like with that they did that for the soundtrack American Horror Story. And that was like around the time that that was popular, that kind of music. But, um, you know, it kind of reached its peak when um, like all these like hip hop artists were using like witch house elements in it, like like ASAP Rocky and stuff like that. We're using like those kind of witch house like producers and stuff for their music in the, what was that, like mid 2010s, like, you know, 2012 or something. 2013 that time which i think is when when did horror american Horror story came out it was around then right i think so actually yeah the first season is probably like 2010 somewhere somewhere in that range because i i didn't start watching them until they had a couple seasons in the bank because i you know of yeah. course i just dismissed it i thought it was going to be garbage i was like ah, well, why, would I, why would i why would i watch this it's on television you know but then like by accident one night I happened to just have it on. It was on. Like I was at someone's house and they had actual TV and it was right. on. And I was like, immediately wanted to change it, you know, but I was like, actually, hold on a second. It's actually kind of cool, you know, and that kind of drew me into it. And I just watched all the other seasons. Yeah. I, I didn't get into it until it was like 2013. I remember it was that, that like autumn, like around Christmas, Halloween. I mean, and my, um, my girlfriend at the time, was a fan of American Horror Story, so she kind of made me watch the first season with her. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I like this, you know. And then I started to watch, I think it was like, um, at that time, this, there was a second season, the Asylum one, I watched that one, which I thought was not as good as the first one overall, but um, then there was, was it the Witch one was the season three? I think that was season three. Yeah. The one that, yeah, that, it's that, like, it was almost like, uh, like a, it reminded me of like the X-Men sort of, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That, that one I didn't like very much. So <laughs> yeah, I kind of, that was coming out as I started watching the show. So yeah. Uh, so I kind of lost interest for a little bit. And then um, when the hotel season came out, uh, I watched the first episode of that one and I got like completely like, sucked into that i was like yeah yeah that, that also kind of fits in with that whole like downtown la like culture you know how like you know it's like that's basically skid row and there's all these like hotels in downtown la that used to be these like great you know nice places and now they're just like like drug addicts and you know weirdos live there now prostitutes and stuff yeah exactly yeah yeah the, well the cecil hotel itself is very very creepy in of itself you know what i mean like the setting of the show you know yeah i watched like videos of people just like exploring and like i watched this video of this guy who went got permission to go to the hotel uh during covid when they didn't have any any people living in it you know and uh and it was pretty creepy just like you know when they're just wandering around by himself you know what i mean <laughs> dude la down that that whole part of la has got way sketchier too i mean i was just there earlier this year and uh like i was telling you before you know we started recording that um i i, I had to i stayed somewhere else and i met the guys at the hotel and where i stayed i walked i like looked on my, my gps and i was like oh yeah it's like a 15 minute walk <laughs> what a beautiful way to start the day so i got up you know left and i uh i walked yeah and man dude it was like uh, 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 uh an ordeal kind of you know what i mean like just right. the human 
savagery that you experience even at like 7 30 in the morning you know what i mean and it was like just very very different than i remember you know was it downtown uh yeah, LA was, that you're at yeah it was downtown yeah 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 i've heard it's gotten really bad like home homeless camps and stuff like that down there and even like the Starbucks, like I went in before I went to meet the guys at the van, it was like, I went to the Starbucks and I went, you know, used the bathroom and went in there and, and it, it was just, it was just gross, man. It was, you know, and like, and like I said, like I've been going to Los Angeles for decades and uh, the downtown area has always been a little wild, you know, but yeah, it just seemed to expand, have been expanding for like, you know, years and, you know, the, during the pandemic, I would, I didn't go you know, for two years, you know? Yeah. I've heard it's yeah, gotten it's, like way worse. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, but, but there's like a whole, um, yeah, there's all this, all those places all have their own stories, man. Like all these like weird hotels down there. And that's what I thought was the coolest thing about that season of American horror story. There's like, there's like hotels just like that. Like why that sounds like a, it was a great premise for, for a season, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then you know, they kind of semi based it off of that um, serial killer. And was it uh, in Chicago? Um, Holmes or whatever. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Who, who I, owned, I like, do. Who owned, I like, can't remember the guy's name, though. JG Holmes or something. He turned that like hotel into like a place where he could kill people. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I forgot his name, though. But yeah, yeah. I remember that story. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, but was that, that was actually in Chicago during the, uh, during uh, the uh, World Fair. And uh, yeah, he like, they didn't find out until much later when there was like a fire or something like that. They found all these like secret room, like torture rooms and stuff. He had made in like this. Oh hotel. man, dude. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you ever seen uh there was a, there was a movie that was on shutter called the golden glove. Mm-mm. Oh man. If it's, if it's, uh, it's based on a true story. It takes place in Germany and it's just like another CD horrible story about a serial killer. And you know, it, it's, it's brutal, man. Like Ralph told me about it. Um, you know, Ralph's German, so he lives, right. obviously lives in Germany, so he knows all the local stories and the stuff that maybe isn't as obvious over here. And it, I don't know if it's still on Shutter because this is like going back maybe a year or two, but uh, it's the, called the Golden Glove. Golden Glove, the, yeah, it's like a very seedy story that's very similar to what we're talking about. Like, yeah, like uh, some hotel owner, like, <laughs> yeah, just people. like, yeah, like that kind of thing, and just like. The low low life, you know, like the, the low life, like it's like a Bukowski and serial murder story, you know? <laughs> right. Uh see, no, it's not on there now. I just looked on Shutter on my, on my Ah phone. man. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the golden glove. I'll have to see if it's available any anywhere else. I need to try to get uh habit and um uh what's the other one in before they go off of shutter? Oh, uh, the addiction and habit. The addiction. Both of those are incredible, man. I, I just, I picked up that Fessenden um, box set and it has the habit in there. So good. Yeah. I need to, I really need to check those out because I, I love all this stuff from like New York in that time. It's kind of, I've always been fascinated by that. Like, um, you know, reading about like, say like the swans, like how, where they lived and stuff in like, in like, uh, in like New York and, you know, like, I don't know. I've, I've in like the whole punk scene and stuff back then, like in the seventies yeah. and eighties, and like 
really fascinated with all that and that the whole era of New York, you know? Well, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and, um, you know, I, I'm not like Mike Scandato, like my other co-host over at Necro. He's, he's a Brooklyn guy. Like he grew up in Brooklyn and I grew up outside the city. Right. And uh, so I, I didn't have the day-to-day exposure that he did, but you know, my, my forays as a young, you know, young kid into New York, in the late eighties and the nineties was pretty, pretty terrifying. You know? Right. Like, oh yeah, dude. It's like, you know, I used to go, I've seen, um, you know, like the cramps and X and bands like that play at the Ritz, you know, in New York city. Right. In the eighties. And that's when I discovered like true fear, you know what I mean? Taking the train right, down to those parts of New York back then where I really, you know, there were moments where I was like, you know, so, oh wow! I can actually get killed or robbed or beat up by somebody, or you know, if yeah. I was by myself, something would have happened. You know what I mean? So yeah, <laughs> you know. And then and back then, like now, everything is very regimented, and it's, everything starts and ends at, on time. And there's like, you know, shows are over, so you can make your way back to the train. And but back then, it was like the Wild West, man. It's like. The, the Metro North train left it. I think the last one was at one thirty, maybe in the morning. Right. But they in the city, like at a place like the Ritz, shows would go until like three or four in the morning sometimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no one cared about your train schedule. You yeah. had to like figure things out. It was very much like uh, this Tom Sawyer, like Huckleberry Finn adventure. You know, whenever I, went, whenever, whenever I went into the city, you know, I was like a Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn kind of guy, you know? Right. Like, yeah, dude, I can only imagine, dude, like, uh, yeah, it's probably like, uh, you, have, you have to keep your eyes open for all, for, for all the fucking people. That's like, that. I lived, I lived down, downtown in Denver for a long time and like, uh, even Denver, you know, like, isn't that bad. Like, but there's, you know, there's dangers, you know, there's homeless people and people getting robbed. Like one of my a few people I know have gotten mugged and stuff. And it's like, when you live in that or you're going into it a lot of times, you really creates a different, you have a different perception of things. than I think people who never experience that because you're like, you can, like when I'm in a city, I can never re- relax. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're always watching everywhere around you, you know? <laughs> like, Definitely, man. You know, it's, I remember back then, like we were, I was down in the city with these girls and we were um, waiting for the train to go back up, you know, to Westchester County. And, uh, and like, it's like the middle of the night on like a weekend and uh you know it was these these like guys were like bothering one of the girls so i was like kind of like you know stepped in a little bit and then another guy came up behind me but the girl was like look and like turn around and the guy literally was like i was like moments away from getting jumped by somebody right right for whatever reason I was able to, t- to like completely diffuse the situation without any kind of like violent interactions. Like I was able to like, just by talking to these dudes, I was able to get these co- the cool things out and no one got hurt. No one was beat up. No one got robbed. Nothing happened. And I was like, felt so like fortunate that I didn't end up like a, a statistic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I practiced Aikido for a long, for like a really long time. And that, that was like one thing in Aikido where they're always like, you know, ultimately like a part of, particularly of Aikido, because it's like, def, you know, using the energy and everything like that, you know what I mean? To defense. It's like, 
the ultimate uh, use of this skill is actually to diffuse a situation without, so that you don't even have to use your skill at self-defense. You know what I mean? Like to like kind of deflect these types of things before they happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, familiar with that stuff for sure. Yeah. But like yeah, it. New York, New York's not like that at all anymore, man. Actually, who knows? Actually, I heard, I heard things are getting sketchy there again, you know, as far as like crime and whatever, but well, um, last time I was but, there, it definitely was not. It was like it was like I saw one homeless person, and it was like it was like super clean. You know that that wasn't what like ten years ago though. You know that was the last time I was in New York. Well, stop me if I told you this story before, but like I remember um, right before the pandemic happened, I sensed it felt like Midtown was getting creepier again because um, with the office that we had was on Seventh Avenue and. Um, you know, I'm one of these guys, I show up really, really early so I can leave early. You know what I mean? I like to be in the office when no one's there. So people don't, you know, it's, I'm, I was literally the first person in pretty much every day. I would right. be walking the door, the lights would turn on, you know, and that kind of thing. I'd sit at my desk right. and start working. So in the, you know, in like the fall and the winter hours, it would be dark, you know, and I remember there would be these encampments these like cardboard box like shanty towns like on like 37th street and 7th avenue right where our office was and uh there was like a a very very intense like homeless vibe there and i remember the summertime this is like a weird thing man i remember one day this like young woman showed up and she was like you know probably like i would say maybe 19 you know she just i saw her when I got off at the subway station, I saw her like sleeping on like a, a piece of cardboard. Right. Mm-hmm. But she was clean, clean, you know, just sort of like, you know, like dressed normally. Right. And, and I was, I was this, you know, this broad had like, uh, you know, also had a rough night, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I figured she was like, you know, just like, pat, like, uh, you know, whatever, man. She's like, you know, she'll probably be okay. But right. I saw her, like, I saw her like every day, you know what I mean? Right. And like as the months passed on, she like started her whole appearance to start deteriorating. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And it was just like, dude, it was just so dark. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's just, it was bad, man. It was just like, like that's how I guess it happens. Like who knows what her story was? It was like, you know, was it drug abuse? Uh, she get thrown out. You know, she was a job. Who knows? How does it, I don't even know how someone ends up like that. Like there's obviously some people who are like, you know, I know that in New York, people that were, uh, were mentally ill, sometimes they just throw them out and put them on the street. You know, they're like, okay, yeah. you're out, you're just, you're on your own now, which I think is horrible. That's like a terrible thing to do. Yeah. They do but, here too. but that makes sense how you would be a homeless person, you know, but someone who seemed to just not, necessarily be mentally ill and i I just it blew my mind you know then later that year i was like yeah i was i was walking to the office one morning and like yeah some dude was like shooting up on the sidewalk like right out in the open you know what i mean right (laughs) and i was like wow this reminds me of the 80s like when i used to come down here and be afraid all the time you know and uh, (laughs) and then one morning i took a slightly different path to work like i my my trek through the streets i was like you know what 
this place over here that's open really early. I heard they make nice coffee there, you know, because like a lot of the cooler like coffee spots didn't open till like nine. Right. But, you know, it's like six o'clock in the morning. You know, there's like Starbucks, but I wanted to try something different. So I went to this other route and I walked by this dark street corner and it was like, you know, it's super early in the morning. And there was the uh, the old, um, you know, uh, like pay phones when they used to have pay phones. Now there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. So there was like four dudes like huddled around this thing. And as I turned the corner, all four of them looked at me. Oh, shit. <laughs> Like I'd walked in on the middle of something and I'm like, oh man, like I'd suddenly I had that like feeling of like, I, think oh, I, might, have to, I might have to like def- defend myself here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, uh, but luckily I just kept going, man. Nothing happened. So I think things are turning like that, you know, I felt like that before the pandemic. So, you know, and I moved out to here to Jersey, like right, the, right. In the beginning of things here. And I, I go to work, you know, I go to, for work, I go into the city a couple of days a week, but you know, for shows, but I'm not spending a whole lot of time there anymore. Like I used right. to. Yeah. I've, I've, I feel like it probably is kind of getting back that way. Like I think um, there's been a, gra- a general decline over across like the entire country, you know, in a lot of major metro metro areas, you know what I mean? Like Colorado, like in Denver, downtown was already getting pretty sketchy, like and pretty like rough. And there was a lot of crime and stuff here but it got way worse after the pandemic like now it's like yeah it's pretty dangerous in a lot of areas you know yeah portland too man like i remember like we were just in portland on that same run and it was like you know that was that was i was telling you earlier that was the night where i was like just really sick like i you know i hadn't slept the nights before with the drives and all this other stuff yeah so i was i was really really worn out that night so i was sleeping in the van um after our set set i went I fell asleep in the green room for a while. Then I went out to the van and I was taking a nap because it was a little more quiet there. And I, when I woke up, I saw like the bouncer, like beating this guy with like a flashlight. And he was like the dude, I guess like, I was like, what the fuck, you know, like some homeless dude. And apparently every night he tries to pull some shit at this place in Portland. And they're used to seeing him around and, it, it's like a real threatening place, man. You know, I don't remember Portland being like that, you know? Yeah, my friend, one of my friends uh, lives up in Seattle, and he told me, like, you go in a city in Seattle, like, you have to wear, you'll see, like, needles just all over the ground, and it's like, he's yeah. like, really scared, like, scary. He's, he told me, it was like, anytime he goes into town, into the city to go to a show or something, he's, like, afraid for his life, you know? Oh, wow, <laughs> damn. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what Seattle I've heard is like the worst. Like it's even worse than Portland. But really, that's uh yeah, I mean Seattle's always been as far as my memory goes. I mean, I know like I said, things are way different now, but like that's always been like a super chill city, but I guess things changed, you know. Yeah. It sounds like it's become more like Vancouver, because I've heard Vancouver is pretty sketchy. Oh man, dude. There's um every time I, I'm in Vancouver, the show is always at this place called the Rickshaw. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's in the middle of that area that oh, that, that uh, you know, whatever that no that drug free zone or whatever the the drug open whatever they call open it, drug, area. yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever whatever that district is. This place, the rickshaw, is like right in the center of it all, right? And oh you, god, <laughs> and it's a real it's a real drag because like there's nowhere to get food or anything really, you know, or or anything. And, right. Um, and there's like, of course, the loading is behind the building, and there's this 
fucking alley that you got to drive down. And that's where all the action is, man. It's like I've seen so much sketchy shit go on in that alley. Like yeah. in the middle in the middle of the day. Like right. hookers, people taking shits, <laughs> like people shooting drugs, like all sorts of fights, like all that stuff. There's like, you know, real, real hardcore like stuff right around that venue, man. And it's right. like I remember like um, you know, like the tour manager on this one particular tour was like yeah don't wear your flip-flops in that alley behind the rickshaw yeah definitely you know you don't want to step on like a needle and get aids or something like that you know or you know whatever get fucked up by some disease or whatever you know i was just reading um i've been reading the the swans biography book yeah yeah, i read that Uh, yeah and uh i got it last year but i hadn't gotten around to reading it so i'm reading it right now and it's like um there's a part in it where I guess Michael Gira's like uh, brother came to visit. It was like wearing flip flops and stuff, and Michael oh, yeah. Gira got mad at him. Like, never wear <laughs> flip flops here. <laughs> like when they're living on Avenue A or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I remember that part. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, you don't want to wear flip flops in areas where there's like needles everywhere and shit. You know? Yeah, totally. But yeah, that, that's um, yeah, it's a cool venue though. It used to be like a uh, like a martial arts like movie theater. Like, okay. And it, there's some of the uh, like it's an old movie theater, and uh, it's pretty big, you know. And uh, I think maybe 400 cap, you know. But it's like there's like uh, a floor, and then there's like that seating area that's on an angle, so it's kind of weird in that respect. And uh, you, there's still some of the old posters for these like old like like martial arts films, you know, and uh, like the Shaw Brothers movies and stuff like that. Yeah, like and, uh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. So. Once again, it's like a that part of town was probably cool at one point because they had this beautiful like theater there. Now it's just like completely in ruins, you know. Yeah, it's kind of it's crazy to think about those kind of places. I mean, like um, you know, or like a place like Detroit, for example, like where like Thomas Ligotti's from. Like Detroit is like I mean, you can see Detroit in a lot of his his stuff too. You know, oh uh, yeah, that, that's the uh, the story of purity. Like that yeah, literally takes place in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. The story of purity. And it's just like, yeah, there's like those kind of places, like just, uh, you're like, how do, how do we, how does it get like that? You know, particularly in like a city like Vancouver, where it's like, I mean, I'm sure the rest of the city is pretty nice. Right. Or is it, or is the whole city like that? Dude, no, no, no. The rest of the city is beautiful. It's like, I, um, yeah, there's, it's funny. Like I've been there a bunch of times and like, you know, just off the top of my head, there's like one area we, we went to, we met up with some friends to eat. Cause like I was telling you, there's, if you want to get like, uh, I don't know, there's no, there's no literally nowhere to eat in that part of town. You know what I mean? Right. So we had to go, we went out with some friends and we ate at like an awesome, like sushi restaurant. You know, it was like people, you know, hanging out on these cafes and everything and the great coffee place. And that was like seven blocks away from this area. And right, then when you go far. down, no, nah, it's not far at all. Then, like, when you go to that area, it's like you're crossing into the other realm, man, like the netherworld. You know, it's right. crazy. There's like, there's probably like a, the weird thing about cities like that is it's literally like there's probably like a, it's almost like a defined border. Like within this area, it's bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's, it's pretty nuts, man. Like, I, you know, I mean, I don't know what the right, wrong or right way to deal with that stuff is. It's like, I, I get the idea to criminalizing drugs, you know, and I just don't know what, how, what the right way to do it is. Cause obviously that's, that area is like, 
something's wrong because that area is so dangerous. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's not. It's like it's like you create this little zone and just kind of a free for all basically in there. You know, I mean it's it's like it's like Escape from New York or some shit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like um, it's like I don't know if that's really helping anything. You know. No, it's not. I don't think you know what I mean. It's like, <laughs> like people, people get murdered there. You know what I mean? Like there's been, yeah. You know, it's like a common thing that people they find bodies in that part of the town all the time. Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of letting them run. These kind of people run rampant. It's kind of like it's not good either. You know, it's 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 weird because it's like I don't really agree with criminalization of drugs when people aren't hurting any. You know, they're only really hurting themselves. But when they're involved with this kind of criminality, it's like, yeah, they're hurting our people because they're killing each other and stuff you know it's like what is the right option i don't know if letting them just like destroy a part of your town is the right option though <laughs> no no definitely not you know? yeah yeah i've never but, been to vancouver i've never been to canada so vancouver's awesome man it's uh canada i, I fucking love canada man i think it's a great great uh you know like country and and uh I know that when we do that run across like the southern part of the country, it's it's always really cool. And like on, on that last tour we did with Origin and Abysmal Dawn, it was um, so much competition in the states because like everyone was out on the road this spring, you know, because everything is like open and all right, let's go. Everyone's out and uh, so much competition. Like there was like one one week, like say for example El Paso, like a city like El Paso can have like maybe two metal shows a month maybe right the same the, the, the week that we played in el paso it was our tour it was uh riding christ malevolent creation and uh there was one other tour and that was all in the same week that we played there yeah so i remember there was, there was like, like a lot at the same time as you yeah yeah and then but then when we went up into canada there was no there was like a, a fraction of the tours going on up in canada so the shows were just well you know a lot more better attended and that kind of thing right it's like less options you know what i mean yeah it makes sense one thing i'd like to see is the ross bay like where the the blasphemy guys can't you know the ross bay cemetery oh yeah yeah you totally yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'd have to go check that out <laughs> go see go see what ross bay cemetery like in the flesh and <laughs> not just in their pictures you know yeah, uh, Blasphemy was awesome, man. They were like, you know, like, when I first heard them, I didn't really know what to make of it, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I mean, but I definitely, they've, they've become, like, one of my, like, you know, go-to, like, OG. I mean, I guess you would call them, like, war metal more so than black metal, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, I mean, they're they're still part of black metal in a lot of ways because uh, they had a huge influence on pretty much every facet of black metal, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like... Uh, I mean, obviously, like, uh, I've seen a lot of pictures of Mayhem where, like, Hellhammer or other members are wearing Blasphemy t-shirts and, you know, uh, Finland, they were a big influence. I mean, Beharit was like, oh, yeah, we just worship, like, Sarcophago and Blasphemy yeah. and, you know, Bathory. You know, it's like those are the, the holy trinity for them, you know. Right, but just, like, as far as, like, their sound goes, I think, you know what I mean? Like, like bands like Blasphemy, like Conqueror, like, you know, yeah, it's revenge. Full, it's a revenge. It's like a war metal. Like it's adjacent, you know, like yeah. to black metal, you know. Yeah, they're yeah, they're definitely I always also like uh call like bestial black metal as well. Like there's like war metal, which is like revenge and conquered, and you got like bestial black metal like Profanatica and stuff. Or not Profanatica, um, Proclamation and 
proclamation yeah yeah all that kind of stuff yeah i mean they're con- yeah they're connected it's adjacent I and mean, there's definitely an influence of that in a lot of black metal team no doubt i love that stuff though <laughs> always oh, yeah. like uh, i always had the, always loved that kind of um real fucking just gnarly fucking black metal stuff like where it's just like bordering on noise sometimes you know <laughs> well it's funny um I was talking about this on on uh, Jackie's podcast when he had me and Mike on. Like the guys that actually turned me on a lot of that stuff were dudes that were into noise music, right. you know, like like band like like blasphemy. Um, there were these guys that I worked with at this warehouse, the new like a record store warehouse, like this uh, Newberry Comics in New England was like a chain, right? Yeah, and and um, there were these guys that were into like Mersbau and you know, all this like super extreme, like harsh noise. And they were the ones who were into bands like Blasphemy. You know, it wasn't even like metalheads like that I knew at least were into like black metal was even underground for like metalheads, you know, back in the nineties. So even in early two thousands when I got into black metal, uh I felt like black metal as a whole is kind of held in like contempt by a lot of metal guys. You know what I mean? Like you just hear like guys into death metal, like just make fun of black metal, or you know, like yeah, like well, totally. the only only black metal I like is like maybe Emperor Anthems and Welkin, you know, like that's like they only liked like maybe a a couple things, and it's like black metal was like super like not cool, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. I mean, it's funny. Mike Mike was talking about this, um, where you know, Mike Mike being you know New York City native. Yeah, saw saw like the whole rise of black metal like in New York, you know, with like you know analyzing like what dudes were wearing what shirts and yeah, I think Mike saw the first Mayhem show in New York City ever, right? You know, and, and he was like, you know, there was a couple guys with suffocation T-shirts, you know, and then he's like, and then when Emperor played, it was like that's when I started seeing more like straight up like black metal fans, you know. I, I, he has a whole breakdown of the whole thing, but like during that period of time, I was actually living in Boston. And right, no one liked black metal up there. There was like death metal and hardcore, and that was it, really. You know, there was like, yeah, very few people who even like got even knew what black metal was that I was aware of, at least. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, when that kind of crossed, crossed over, like when black metal seemed to kind of somehow, I remember that that there was that point where all of a sudden you're seeing like people in the hardcore and stuff like are all about in the black metal, you know, it was kind of. I was like, I wasn't quite sure. I understood like the Wolves in the Throne Room kind of opening up for like um, hipsters and stuff, but the kind of crossover hardcore and the black metal kind of happened before that a little bit, like in the crust scene and stuff like that. Yeah, there was there was a band in, in Boston called Barrett that was like uh, like kind of like a hardcore, like DIY hardcore black metal kind of band. Uh-huh. And uh, I was never really, I didn't really, I was like, why well, listen to these guys if I could just actually listen to Black Metal? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and, and it was like, and it was, I don't know, it was like that same, there was like nothing evil about it. You know what I mean? It was, you know, the sound was there, but not the intent. You know, there was no sketchy lyrics or like, you know, evil, like satanic imagery or paganism or any of that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. None of the stuff that you... No, like kind of darkness. I think, yeah, I think black metal has to have that kind of like darkness, really, you know? <laughs> yeah, 100%. And it's like, yeah, I think, um, 
I don't know. I just felt like, I felt like, I don't know. I think like if you grew up, like came in during those times when it wasn't cool, kind of have a different like feeling because you're like, you remember when, uh, I remember, it's like, I remember when like these metal guys who now are like all the, you know, they, black metal stuff, they used to just make fun of it. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was like not a thing. I'm trying to think of what band actually. Maybe like a band like Dissection or something, or Gorgoroth might have been okay for death metal dudes to listen to. I think it was mostly like Emperor and and maybe Dissection. Yeah, uh, I think Immortal was kind of popular with some people in a way, but but they also laughed at them, you know, with the with the. Well, for imagery. being a, being being immortal, basically. Yeah, for being yeah. immortal, which I kind of yeah. I could understand. I, um, but yeah, the. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just one of those things. I feel like I feel like sometimes though the derision and the laughter was coming mostly because they didn't understand it, <clears throat> you know, because they didn't get black metal, so it was easier for them to mock it than try to actually understand it, you know. Yeah, totally. That was the kind of feeling I got from a lot of people. <laughs> it's like it's like it's okay. I mean, if you don't want to listen to it, I don't care. You don't need to be like making fun of it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, death metal back then in the 90s was kind of dead, actually. You know, that was, like, a very low point for that style of music. I mean, there was a lot of great bands, but, like, popularity-wise, you know, like, people really weren't down with death metal in the 90s, it seems like. You know, there was, like... Yeah. You know, like, Nile, that's when they started. I first saw Nile in the 90s, but they were, like, you know, talking about how the scene was dead the first time I saw Nile, like, from the stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I saw I saw, I saw them in New York with... um. It was one of these relapse shows. It was like Nile, Dillinger Escape Plan, like Neurosis. It was like some like Soylent Green, Coalesce, like, like some weird relapse show from like 96 or something like that. Right. That's a weird lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like bands were all, you know, like that that year they all had records out or something on relapse. And it was like, you know, Carl Sanders was talking about how like, you know, the death metal scene's dead or something like that in, in like 96. <laughs> But um, but yeah, there was great bands like Suffocation, you know, Incantation, Mortician. There's like a lot of great bands in New York were making excellent death metal, you know. In my opinion, uh, New York death metal is the best death metal, you know. Oh, it's I agree with that 100, percent man. Immolation, like all those bands are incredible, you know. And yeah. I, I mean, you know, Cannibal Corpse technically is from Buffalo, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're I, still in, they're a New York band, in my opinion, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I I, I Morbid Angel has always been. Like those first few records have always been my favorite death metal record. So, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I think when it comes to the Florida stuff, uh, Morbid Angels is my favorite. You know, my favorite. They're my top three death metal bands. Like, it's them and Incantation. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of like uh, basically Incantation, Immolation, and Morbid Angel are like my top three. You know, and then I also really like Grave when it comes to, like the Swedish sound. Totally, but it's, but it's like uh, yeah, like. Yeah, Morbid Angel is like the the pinnacle of like this the Florida stuff, and then it's like, but overall, I think New York was like strongest. I mean, like Incantation and Immolation and all these kinds of bands are like amazing, you know. Yeah, you can't sleep on Mortician either, man. For just yeah, Mortician is great too. Yeah, and then and, and they were they were like the first really. They were the ones yeah. who kicked it off because I know like. um I know that like John uh, from Incantation was like playing live with Mortician, and uh, I know the Will did vocals on um, the first uh, Incantation demo or the um, EP or whatever, you know. 
Yeah, no, totally. Like he was the vocalist for Incantation for a little while, and of course he also got uh, Pro Profanatica was another yep. like. Yeah. Um, because he um, what's his name for Profanatica was uh, in Incantation originally, I remember, and then he split off to start Profanatica. So. So once you write a book about this stuff, man, definitely. Like you the New York I mean? death metal, like back then. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent, man. Yeah, I I love Mortician. Like I really like the um, uh, the real early stuff. Like I like I love that EP that they did when they still had their drummer before they got the drum machine. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah, definitely. You know, they they play recently with a drummer actually. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. They haven't released an album in since what, like two thousand eight or something, or not even that, like two thousand four. I saw them twice this year. Actually, they played. Um, there was like a big show uh, on the Immolation tour at um, Urban Plaza. It was like uh, you know it, they were not on the tour, but they just played this one show. Um, Demolition Hammer played uh, Immolation. Uh, this this is an incredible show, and then I saw Mortician play at this venue in Brooklyn called like the Brook uh, the, the Bushwick Hotel or something like that. It's like mm -hmm. a small small kind of DIY spot, and uh, yeah, they're just great, man. I mean, they're fucking brutal, just like the bass tone and ignorant like riffs, <laughs> just great, man. You know, I, mean, I love it. You know, it's yeah. just so so caveman like stuff, you know. And, what I thought was cool too is like at the show at the um, that's not the name of the venue, Bushwick Hotel, something like that. It's um, Will Ra Will Raymer had the lighting on stage. It was like a combination of like red, green, and blue, and it looked like like something for like from Suspiria or something like the stage lighting. Right, had this like like. Italian horror film like look on stage. And I was like, wow, this is fucking cool. I wonder if it's intentional. Because I know sure Raymer's like yeah, I know that he's like a big, you know, horror guy. So I'm assuming that he knew what he was doing when it came to that lighting. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, didn't he's like um you know, he's used like a lot of uh stuff from samples from Fulci and Yeah. Uh I don't know if has he used samples from uh Argento? I'm trying to think actually. I don't recall. I have to really put my thinking cap on to see if he does. But uh sometimes sometimes the samples are longer than the songs, man. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like the samples <laughs> will be like two minutes of like some movie clip and then the song's like 30 seconds, you know. Yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I think is I love Mortician. I love the primitive just caveman shit. You know, it's like that uh that always appeals to me. That's part of why I like uh, Incantation as well, is that it's a little bit more refined than Mortician, but in the end, like, John, like, has always said he's, like, he's, like, going for that kind of primitive caveman type of vibe of his stuff, too. You know, he just wants to... I feel like um, Incantation is a huge influence on a lot of the newer death metal stuff. You know how, like, there's, um, you know, bands like Grave Miasma and, uh, you know... Uh, Antediluvian and stuff. Yeah, that style, which yeah. is like this real dark, like satanic, like death metal, but it's also has that atmospheric element to it. And I think that the when I first started listening to those bands, I was like, oh man, these guys are like must love incantation, you know, because they have that same yeah. elements in it. Yeah, I'd agree. I love that kind of death metal. Like that's my that's probably overall my favorite kind of death metal is the 
anything that has that kind of vibe, that kind of incantation. Yeah. You yeah. know, type of type of stuff. Well, and a lot of those bands are sometimes also influenced a lot. You can tell by Immolation or Morbid Angel. It feels like those kind of bands all go together, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, there's that Greek band. Um, why the fuck can I think of their name now? Uh, Dead Congregation. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen. Actually, I saw Dan Greed Miasma play in Brooklyn one time. Oh, that's a sick show, dude. Uh, it was. Um, they used to have these. Um, this oh, what the, this guy Vinny. He he's actually out. He's out. He's from out here in Jersey, but he he has a production company called Signature Riff, and I have no idea how he could afford to like fly these bands over. But he would put on these um these like festivals, like a two day festival of totally obscure bands it was called like martyr doom festival okay and and uh he had them every year and the one of the years that i went it was um grave miasma and uh dead congregation with the last two bands and uh i remember that was like my first time i heard grave miasma and i've been a fan of theirs ever since then and uh i'm trying to think of other bands that played over the years but it's always like these super obscure like like satanic like death metal bands you know? that's awesome yeah yeah i would love to see i mean that'd be an awesome like tour like grave miasma and dead congregation with like incantation or something <laughs> be like fucking brutally heavy show the thing about all these bands have in common is that they're kind of like the that death doom thing you know like uh you know they're not like uh, not like doom death like my dying bride although there is like elements of that in yeah, it. yeah but uh but they're like the death doom where it's like more death metal than doom but it's got that doom element you know what i mean yeah that stuff's that. cool yeah yeah like uh impetuous rituals sort of like that i guess yeah impetuous rituals cool uh i'm trying to think um some lucifer stuff is like that um uh what's that band um there's a band in uh from finland uh um <laughs> my brain is like not working um fuck uh i have to think about it there's like a cool <laughs> band from from finland and i'm like blanking on the name well, or uh, did you ever listen to that band, um, Hooded Menace? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, they're from Finland. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that play actually. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the other band's called, and my brain is like not Shrine, Desolate Shrine. Yes, they're uh, yeah, they're kind of like a black metal style band too, Desolate Shrine. They have like a black metal vibe to some of their stuff. Yeah, and the vocalist for Desolate Shrine is the vocalist for uh, Sargeist nowadays as well. So, oh, there you go. Okay, the the earlier Desolate Shrine is more de more Death Doom, and then it kind of got more black metal. Yeah, there's one particular record by Desolate Shrine. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's like definitely black metal. Yeah, I think their newest one was like, or not the newest, but the one before, because they just released an album I think this year, but the one before or was more black metal sounding. Um, oh yeah, I'm glad that you liked uh, Hanging Garden. I know you mentioned it on the. Oh man, I've been all about that stuff. All about it. I've been all about it. Yeah, 
I was like, it's funny. It's funny how you can really love a band and then you kind of like forget about them in a way. You don't forget about them, but you just haven't. I hadn't listened to them in a while. You know what I mean? So they weren't like yeah. on my mind. And then uh, the other day, I was like, I was like, put them. I thought of them, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna put them on. Listen to Hanging Garden. Then when I'm listening to, I was like remembering how much I love this band. You know what I mean? <laughs> I immediately is like, I think Mike's in, would like this band because it seems oh, like yeah, up his alley. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, man. It's like, uh, yeah, like I don't know. This time of year, I'm always into like, uh, you know, like like Paradise Lost and stuff like that, and you know, typo negative, and that stuff kind of fits in that realm a little bit you know yeah hanging garden i definitely feel like fits into the uh that kind of vein of all those bands with the kind of element of um i mean what do you say like i feel like some elements almost remind me of like neurosis and stuff as well a little bit sure but in a way but not exactly but that kind of i don't know it's hard to describe their music but because they also have like post punk parts as well, you know. Well, that, yeah, those are the parts that, that set them apart a little bit, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like that album I sent you, the Blackout Whiteout. It's got like these like some songs are super heavy doom, and then they have these like weird songs. But you know what? It some stuff reminds me of is Junius a little bit. Oh, I know that band. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. I I actually like I'm pretty good friends with some of those guys. With actually all the guys in that band. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like Junius. I think they're a good band. I remember I remember feeling like some elements of Hanging Garden kind of reminded me of uh, particularly older Junius, like they're, yeah. like they're, you know, the EPs and stuff. One of the guys that played bass for them used to be the drummer in a band that I played in uh, back in the 90s. And uh, yeah, it's like, that's how I found out about them because he was like, playing bass for these guys and i was like wow that's weird because like he's such a great drummer but right. uh but like it turned out that he could play bass really good too <laughs> i yeah. there's something that i found i find that somebody who's a really good drummer generally can be a good anything <laughs> yeah no totally yeah like like the justin the guy who plays in tombs like he shreds on guitar i mean not like he's ripping solos but i mean he's like a song he can write excellent songs like on guitar right you know, like he's like like on our, our last album like he contributed a lot of material to that you know what i mean oh, really? and um, yeah yeah totally he had all sorts of riff ideas and um you know which is good you know he's like very very good player he's got excellent like songwriting ability and like and he could execute those parts because he would send demos of all the like the ideas he had and i'm like wow he's, this guy's like a really good player you know oh wow <laughs> and he's yeah. a good drummer too oh yeah well that's his main that's mainly what he loves doing he's playing drums you know? I always i always like um <laughs> i have like a, if, uh what's the word um uh, i kind of get jealous of, of guys like that like like rest from leviathan or somebody is like oh dude you do everything yeah yeah he's like he's like really good drummer and then they're just like fucking amazing at every other instrument you know <laughs> like yeah I'm just nah, like, man, like, I, wish I, hate, I hate those motherfuckers man yeah like, like i wish i could play drums like that's the main thing i'm missing because i can play guitar bass keyboard stuff but if i could play drums like well like then uh, yeah i could do being a lot you know and just do it myself but it's like <laughs> i don't uh, i don't know i'm like terrible at drums <laughs> you know like actually playing them like i, I tried i've tried it many times and just like i get 
you don't have that that coordination you know yeah i feel like you drummers are are born are born you know what i mean like you you're born with like a like how some people are like sprinters versus long distance runners. Like, I feel like if you're, if you're like meant to play drums, like that's an ability, like a talent that you're born with. And no matter what you do, if you're not, if you don't have that weird cork in your makeup, you're never going to be able to do it. Cause like Andrew Hernandez, the guy who played on, um, uh, like on, uh, uh, um, path of totality and savage gold and tombs. Yeah, he he's not a lifelong drummer. Like he'd only been playing drums for maybe four years prior to joining Tombs. Okay, and yeah, he's like playing blast beats, super technical stuff, and uh, he like played guitar, he played bass, he did all these other instruments. Then one day he picked up drums, and I remember seeing him play his first shows with this band called Azra, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, he's okay, you know, like. Definitely need some work. And then within a year, he was like incredible. Right. And it's like, yeah, the guy has a great work ethic, but you know, he's there's like a natural ability, I think, that just people have. Cause I've tried to play drums too, and I just I just can't do it. You know, what I mean, I just no matter how much I practice, I might be able to get it together to do some be basic stuff, but I just I just can't, I just not in me, you know. Yeah, I have that problem. And it's like, and you know, I do think that people who have drummers, they have a different kind of brain than, than somebody who's like, you know, a guitar player or something like a guitar player can pick up bass or keyboards or different instruments. But if you're a drummer, I think there's a kind of brain, your brain is just different. It's wired different. You're wired to think in these patterns and think in these like time signatures and all this kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different. Yeah, no, totally. You know, yeah. <laughs> there it is. And I'm always jealous of that. I was like, man, I wish I, I wish I had that ability. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Because when yeah. I sound like a fucking three-year-old trying to pound on drums when I try. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. 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 And the, um, yeah, the, I just, uh, think that, that, um, what was I going to say? I kind of lost my train of thought for a second. <laughs> the, um, Yeah, I wish I could. I definitely wish I could learn how to play drums. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just I know for me, it's just not the cards, man. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, yeah, yeah it is, you just have to accept that fact. <laughs> it's Indian. That's that's what what's life about is fe- ex- accepting your uh, your both your strengths and weaknesses. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, believe me, I'd rather accept all my weaknesses. Yeah, that's like the that's like the first first step to to understanding the self is uh, understanding your weaknesses. Yeah. The um. Yeah, it actually it's kind of appropriate talking about all those uh, death doom bands because I feel like a lot of those bands tap into a kind of vibe like uh, Lugati in a way, like when you or like a band like Portal. <laughs> oh man, totally. Yeah, yeah, Portal. Yeah. You're like, okay, this is this music's like trying to create like something or ulcerate or some shit. You know, it's like, yeah, no, I I got a chance to uh, to see uh, to see Portal once actually, and they're they're pretty incredible live. I yeah, can imagine they're, they're they seem like pretty uh, pretty intense. 
And there, you know, they they were like one of the like no one was really doing the whole like masks costume thing, you know, back then. Like when I saw them, like they were like, you know, how like nowadays everyone has some sort of mask or something that they're wearing, you know. I right. Mean, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. everyone has like these like helmets on and stuff, and like I don't know, like I never really, um, they, you know, they were they were kind of originators of that style like even when even ghost like i i'm not i'm not really i don't i'm not i'm gonna say it straight up i mean i i don't i don't i'm not a fan like i don't like that band you know what i mean yeah i mean and, and it's not it's not because oh they sound like uh you know whatever like i just the songs don't grab me that's literally why i don't like them like i don't have like a bias about any style of music or anything or but when i first became aware of them i was just like oh yeah these guys want to be portal you know Oh yeah, <laughs> but like I didn't before even hearing a note of their of their music because I just assumed there would be some crazy like dark band, you know. But then they sounded like Kansas or whatever they sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to me, to me, they sound like like fucking foreigner or something like that. Like they don't even sound like a like a metal band, you know? No, I don't think they're a metal band at all. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like uh, um, Ghost. I always felt like uh, sounded like Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah. yeah, the uh, yeah P portal though. I mean, the thing about portal is that they really, uh, you know, they inhabit the whatever the weird characters that they create for themselves, like a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like it seems like natural to them. Like that's who they are. You know, dude. It's like, like they're just the way everything about that band. Like the, even like the production on the records is so unique. Like the way the records sound, the way it's mixed, their live presentation. The way the song, the way they write their songs, like everything about them is like completely their own thing, man. And I love that about that band. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I like. I, I think with the whole like masks and whatever stuff that people do, it's kind of like if it if it seems to fit whatever the band's doing, like in a way that they're like doing it genuinely, like it's genuinely what they're what they're about, like a band like Portal. Or yeah. or a, a cleese or something. Yeah, yeah, like, totally a cleese. Yep. Yeah, you know, you have these bands where it's like, okay, yeah, you're doing it because um, because it's it's natural to what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like it, it makes sense. It seems like you're not putting on a a shtick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but there are uh, a lot of bands who I just feel like are doing it because they, you know, because they saw Migwa do it or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's well, a little tiresome. <laughs> there's, there's definitely one specific band that comes to mind when you mentioned Magua that I feel like their their whole everything about that band is like based on what Magua's doing. Basically, their sound, the fact that they wear these like you know outfits and everything, their whole image. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not gonna say who they are, but yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. Even before seeing them live, like we played a we played a show with them once, and I was just like, I think I've seen this before, man. You know, like it just seemed like very like derivative, like like even the music too. I like, had that same kind of mid tempo, um, like the structure of their songs, like the whole thing, man. I'm like, man, like it's I like McGuire, they're great, you know, but do you got to do you, you know, you got to do your own thing. You can't just like a carbon copy of them you know but yeah. you know these guys are way more popular than uh than my band is so maybe they know something i don't know so who knows 
Well, McGuire's very popular as well. So, you know, it's like, um, yeah. but McGuire's like re the real deal, though. You know what I mean? Like those yeah. guys. Yeah. So that, I mean, that that's totally cool. That they're, I like the fact that people like McGuire, you know? Yeah. It's actually kind of funny with McGuire. Like, I mean, I, I got into them when, um, I mean, maybe their first album came out. I remember I found out about them because of the, um, the uh, Northern Heritage was doing those um, splits, like where they had, uh, I think it was like Crushing the Holy Trinity or something like that. Whereas, like, uh-huh. yeah, you know, you had like, uh, there are all these like split EPs or whatever that they were releasing part of the series. Like, you know, you had like Mutilation and uh, I forget all the bands that, but Migwa, like that was the first time I heard them. I think that was one of the first things they they released was was on that, and then yeah, then they started you know releasing. And I, I mean, I I thought it was great. Like when it, you know, I I still really I like those early Migwa things a lot, you know, and I like all their stuff. The um, uh, you know, they did. I but I was never I never expected them to become what they become, you know. If you told me, <laughs> if you told me that when I heard that first thing, I would have been like, "No, I don't." I mean, I would be like, "I don't." I mean, what? <laughs> you know? But but then you also think about it like, I get it though. At the same time, because their music is very approachable in a way, you know. Yeah, it's like very catchy, you know. And I remember my old bass, the old bass player in Tombs was a big fan of theirs, and um, he used to play in uh, this band Woe. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Yeah, I know Woe. Yeah, so he played guitar on Woe for a while, and they they did some dates with McGuire, I think, in the U.S. possibly, or no, they had to have been in Europe because I don't I don't think at that point McGuire had been up uh, and over here. No, I think the but, first uh, time McGuire was here was those dates they did with Aquis this year. Okay, yeah, so then those dates with Woe must have been in Europe, but um, so he's the one to turn me on to them. He's like, oh, you would love these guys because they have almost like a post punk kind of Joy Division thing going on as well as like you know what I mean, like they have like this kind of like. The drums like the rhythms like that mid-tempo thing yeah exactly yeah and he's like this is like right up your alley and sure enough i've been a huge fan ever since i heard them you know and and also a lot of just a lot of that eastern european stuff i think is you know like drutka like they have like a similar kind that's you know what i mean like it's melodic like this melody and yeah. it's like a, a mid-tempo kind of like you know kind of thing you know stuff's really cool yeah, I think it's yeah. There's a lot of bands from that area, you know, Russia, Ukraine, Poland, like that have the same type of DNA. And I'm wondering if it's partly maybe I don't know. It's must. It's kind of like maybe cultural too. Like maybe there's something kind of like in the cultural music that 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 yeah, shared, that could, you know, could could be man. You know, that dude Roman though. That dude. The guy, the main Drutka guy, he has a bunch of bands that are awesome, like uh, Windswept. That's like another band that's really cool. Yeah, I remember you sent that to me, and it, uh, that was awesome. And you know, I'm a big fan of Hate Forest, and yeah, and uh, uh, Bloody Kingu is interesting because, like, when he first came out, it kind of felt like uh, Sumerian Drutka, but then his later albums with that felt more like unique, you know, like individual to like different project you know didn't just sound like drutka or whatever you know what i mean yeah yeah i yeah he's a he's talented um i haven't gotten around to listening to the new album yet oh it's it's, it's pretty sick man you know it's funny it's funny that now that uh you know there's a war with russia and ukraine that it's like okay to uh to be fans of <laughs> of these Ukrainian bands like politically now 
Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like suddenly it's like not you're not sketchy if you like are into the Drew Gooder hate forest or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, am I am I I don't mean I always felt like the the thing about those bands too is that I always felt like uh the the complaints that people had against them always felt kinda like uh tenebrous anyways, you know. That's like based off of like something in a far past, like in the nineties or something, you know what I mean? Most of it, you know, it's like I mean, it's a long time ago, you know, and and hate forest music doesn't isn't like Nazi music, so neither is Drutka. So like I mean I sure. yeah, <laughs> you know, you know like yeah. I mean that's that's the same thing. Like I you know, I I've said this before even about Burzum, you know, it's not like you know, maybe maybe, you know, Varg himself has a fucked up political ideology, but the music is like there would be no black metal without that guy. You know what I mean? It's like, and to, 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 to deny that is just unre- unrealistic, you know, and it's. Well, I mean, and his, his music doesn't have anything to do with his politics, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the same way that, I don't know. I just think it's important not to let one influence the other one to be like, all right, this guy has like a, you know, I don't agree with his politics, but I, so I can't appreciate his music. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I, I, I personally kind of feel like, uh, you know, if I were to apply that kind of thinking, I mean, across the board, you know, it's like, I'm not going to listen to the majority of hardcore punk because I don't agree with their politics. You know what I mean? But I, yeah. but I still like discharge, you know what I mean? So I'm, sure. <laughs> that's yeah. why I don't, oh, I don't totally. put the, the kind of, uh, politics, um, that kind of mindset into action in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I also just kind of look at it like if a band's not like, and not i don't consider anything that any band um like an nspm unless they're straight up talking about hitler and nazism you know and there, that's and it. there are plenty and there are plenty of bands you do you know what i mean like there's like tons of bands like goat moon or something like that that's like their whole shit is like racism and you know yeah neo, and i mean neo, neo-nazi stuff you know it's like i don't really have any interest in listening to something that's straight up nazi music you know but you have a yeah. band where the person maybe a your politics are sketchy stuff. Who cares if the music's not about that? I don't care. Yeah, exactly. You know? that, that's how that's how I feel about it too. It's like it's art. It's not. It's not. And that's where you do separate art from the artist. Is, is that I kind of judge art on its own merit, you know. And if if the music or the art or whatever, obviously has nothing to do with racism or Nazism or all those kinds of shit, then who cares? <laughs> you know what the person thinks. <laughs> I even go so far as that with the few exceptions like i mean i usually judge music on its own and for the most part and this is kind of different from how i was when i was younger i don't really dig into the actual individuals unless i'm like a big fan of the artist of the art you know what i mean right i'm like a huge fan like you know like if like michael gira for example i'm going to read the biography and all that kind of stuff or whatever you know what i mean but uh if it's like a band I find like I don't feel this need to dig into the every fucking facet of somebody's life, you know. Like I judge the art on its own its own terms. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't need to know like if the oh this artist this artist like took a shit on Saturday. You know what I mean? But I feel like some people get too like concerned with that kind of stuff. You know. Well, what's interesting now is like people have been there's been this discussion with Kanye West about. um you know whether or not his music should be taken off of Spotify because of his anti-Semitic remarks and you know all that sort of stuff. 
<laughs> it's like part of me is like, I'm like, well, if you ask me, they should just leave his music up there, you know? Yeah. And uh, and it's like it's the same thing as like, you know, Varg. You know, it's like music's got nothing to do with anti-Semitism. So, you know, what about the people who uh, were involved in that that have nothing to do with him as a person? You know, it's like. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's it's not like Kanye West is rapping about uh, Zog or something. You know, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean for, all, for all I know, he, he is. I'm just assuming his like, you know, his um, his music isn't about anything, you know, political, you know. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't listen. I haven't listened to, um, like uh, his newest album or anything. But I mean, yeah, I don't think he is. So yeah, it is kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, I just, I just think everyone, maybe with him because he's like a way bigger player, like financially, they want to like cripple this guy or something. But it's like. I think that you have to like be very uh, careful about that kind of stuff because it's become censorship. It's like the guy has like this fucked up thing that he said, his fucked up ideas. You know, yeah, if you're is representing him and you don't want to feel comfortable anymore, good, then you don't have to work with him. But anything that's he's released, I don't think you should like erase that from existence, you know. No, I think I think it comes down to individual. Individual. If you don't feel comfortable listening to Kanye because of something he said, then don't listen to it. But you don't need to be sitting there trying to like get it all taken off of shit. You know, like to me, that's taking it a step further. Where it's kind of like when we're talking about uh, Christians like forcing their agenda down your throat. It's the same thing. And it's like yeah. it's like it's as soon as you take that step into enforcing some type of your viewpoint onto somebody else and you're you're taking that step into totalitarianism and yeah totally you know and it just becomes like a revisionist like history you know it's like suddenly this thing is struck stricken from all you know well yeah it's like i mean it's like um stalin like where stalin would um have people killed and then airbrush them out of pictures you know, and I'm just pretending like they never existed. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? Like that's, you know, that's kind of what you're doing. Like, if you, like the thing with cancel culture is that it's a very like Stalinist type of technique, you know? And uh, that's why I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, man. It should be up to the individual. If you don't feel comfortable, don't listen to it. If you don't want to listen to Burzum, don't listen. If you, you know, you don't need to be, uh, don't need to be attacking people who, uh, who like it you know <laughs> unless that person's like it's like uh on the podcast when ralph was on ralph was like i don't judge somebody who's wearing a burzum shirt who's like a metal you know normal person metal head person i judge somebody who's got like uh you know he's got like he's like uh got like neo-nazi tattoos and like <laughs> and like uh you know the boots with like the 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 colored like um you know laces and all this kind oh, of oh yeah yeah right yeah, shirt like, on yeah. you know like <laughs> He's like, I don't, I don't judge someone. To, I don't judge somebody if they're wearing a Burzum shirt. I judge them if they're wearing a Death Heaven shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> that means they got. That means that that uh, they got shitty taste in music, really. Yeah, that, that's that's what it means. That's that's <laughs> what I choose to judge people on. You know. <laughs> yeah, the uh, particularly particularly now, like their music's terrible. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I just they're just a different thing, man. You know, what I mean, it's like you know, it, it's like I, I don't care about them really. It's like they're just like a totally different thing than what I like. You know, it's like it's like saying there's they're just a band that I'm just not into. You know what I mean? It's got nothing to do with anything. It's just that it means that you're into a certain thing that I, I don't like. You know, it's not right. my cup my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a. Uh... Actually, um, I went to go see uh, Trap Majesty when they opened for Deaf Heaven a few years ago. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that happened, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, they wanted to go. Yeah. So I ended up watching Deaf Heaven because I was already there, anyways. They played, it was like, it was weird. They're a weird band. Like, I don't, but Drab Majesty was great. That was a great show. Yeah. No, those yeah, guys are awesome, man. I've seen them a few times. I've seen Deaf Heaven play more than I care to because we played on like festivals things with them festival stages and uh it's uh just like it's just not the kind of stuff i like you know what i mean it's simple yeah. as that yeah yeah you know? i mean it's i just think it's pretty whack like musically and i don't know it's, it's like, definitely uh, not black metal so anybody who thinks it is needs to, to get a reality check you know <laughs> yeah i don't know it's just like it's more like emo like more like like late 90s screamo music kind of you know yeah well i kind of i kind of class deaf heaven as being in the same type that type of thing it's just uh they, they don't have anything to do with black metal in my opinion like their music is uh totally like um it's just like a, a little bit more extreme version of that 90s emo stuff but uh, I, would, I, rather... I, I, I would say that some of those bands are more extreme than deaf heaven actually you know, yeah but like, i mean like with like <laughs> the blast beats and stuff like but yeah the, those 90s bands are probably more extreme like musically or or emotionally because i i think the thing about 90s emo stuff that i mean some of it i like like cursive yeah, and stuff sure and it's yeah. it's fucking intense you know it's brutal music and and emotionally you know what i mean where death yeah. heaven does not at all it's like totally just fucking limp you know <laughs> oh there's there's like tons of bands from that era that i really dig man like i you know like um that band honeywell uh angel hair uh you know bands like that like gravity records type stuff i you know really into you know yeah. universal order of armageddon like bands like that i think are incredible yeah and i was like um cursive and uh fuck what's that one band called um haven't listened to this kind of music in a while so i'm like blanking the names it's like uh fuck i'm trying to remember i don't know i can't think of it there there's like a one band that almost bordered on um on like that slow core thing in a way but they're like one of those early emo bands and like blanking on the name the um yeah, there, there's a lot of that stuff that was pretty good, and I mean, I, I like that was definitely like the late '90s, early 2000s uh, stuff was very much my gen my generation. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, uh, you know, the post-hardcore, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You should check out some of the Gravity Records stuff if you haven't, man. That's that's like that music had a lot of meaning for me back then, for sure. So like the bands you mentioned, I I really uh, I'm not familiar with those ones. Oh, Angel Hair, uh, great. Um, there's a band called uh, Lava, really good. Like uh, the Swing Kids, you know. Like um, 
anything with like Tony Joy or uh, Justin Pearson, like really good stuff. Yeah, I'll do you know, Red Scare. I'll send you some links if they're on like Spotify. Yeah, you definitely should send me because I'm curious to to check that out because um, you know I, I do like that that era of stuff and I don't really know. It's like I know I know the name of Gravity Records. I probably heard some of the other stuff that's from that label, but I can't think of um uh of the name. You know, I'm not. I can't remember who exactly was on that label. You know what I mean? Aside from those bands you're mentioning, so yeah, there was a band uh, Antioch Arrow, really cool band. Antioch. So one one of the one of the dudes from uh uh Atriarch, uh Max used to play in Antioch Arrow. Oh really? Atriarch yeah. are fucking a great band. I love Atriarch, man. They're amazing. Yeah, I like I really like that band a lot. They um they're fucking uh they're they're one of those bands that kinda like completely created their own sound, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. No doubt. Like it's like totally like nobody's like them <laughs> in so many ways, you know, like it's like death rock meets doom meets I'm a little there's like a black metal vibe to some of their earlier stuff like a very like a coloring here and there you know there's like some of the songs have like earlier records have like like a black metal like a blackened like like hint you know yeah yeah it has almost like uh has that type of energy without being like like actual black metal you know what i mean yeah and uh yeah, I think that they're great. The uh, I remember a while back I listened to that interview you did with them for on Everything Went Black. Oh, with, yeah, with uh, yeah, that was a while, that was a while ago, man. Definitely. Yeah, I d- dug back to found that one. I was like, okay, oh, cool. yeah. track. Yeah, actually, Max played drums in uh in Wolfhammer when we toured with them too. He was like the fill-in drummer on that for them. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, Max he used to play in um Final Conflict too. Like that band, that hardcore band from LA. Okay. Yeah, he's been Max has been around, man. He's done a bunch of shit. Yeah, I uh Wolfhammer band I, I like a lot as well. Yeah, no, oh, dude. Love those guys. You know? Yeah. I'm like really into that kind of sound, like the what they're doing, you know, like however you describe that, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like just kind of like yeah, like they got like a like a like a punkier kind of take on it. Like it's not, it's like mid tempo kind of, you know, it's not really a lot of blasting in their music. It's like very, um, you know, it has like this kind of punk frost kind of vibe to it. Yeah. It's got that kind of Celtic frost, uh, energy to it a little bit, Yeah, but it's like, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how exactly, it's kind of cr- kind of got that crusty type of sound, but I just love that kind of guitar tone. It kind of reminds me of the new Strigoi has that type of guitar tone. Stuff. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm really good friends with Jeff, man. Like he's um someone I've known for a while. Like we've to- two of his we've toured. I've toured with two of his bands actually. I toured with Wolfhammer, and we also toured with uh his other band that he has. <laughs> its name is like fucking escaping me right now. The um, I don't know. I don't know his other bands. So, <laughs> oh, uh, Chrome Waves. How the hell could I forget that? Oh yeah, Chrome Waves. Yeah. Okay, so he's in Chrome Waves as well. Yeah, 
am familiar with that band. He actually has a bunch of different projects, and that's why I had to run through the memory banks as to which one it was, because he has, like, Contrition, like a hardcore-style band. Like, he's got a bunch of different little projects going on. Uh, he's just, like, bu- busy. <laughs> yeah, just, like, banging out material. That's that guy, you know, it's just... Apparently, I, I heard he's moving back east somewhere, and now he's out... He was out in Washington State. I heard he's moving to, like, Pennsylvania somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got to catch up with that dude again. Yeah, I I've been I've been listening to Wolfhammer a lot recently. Actually, I'm like very into. I've been like, I've been on a kick of that kind of sound, and like been listening to a lot of Doom and stuff like that as well. Yeah. But the other day, I was like, uh, I was on a um, I don't know. I was listening to I started I listening to some Iggy Pop and stuff as well. <laughs> nice, nice. Iggy's always a good choice. Yeah. I was listening to some interviews with him and stuff, and so been between that and then reading the Swans book, and listening to a lot of Swans as well. Swans are always in the mix. I always listen to them, man. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw Insect Dark, which is uh, Dana Schechter's band. She plays in Swans, right? Yeah, she does. Yeah, they're they're awesome, man. Really cool. Yeah, you're having her collaborate on the new tombs, right? There's at least one song. And I just wrote another song. Like I asked her to work on two tracks, and one of one's already done. And I'm I have I'm sending them stems to her, and the other one I wrote yesterday, and it's like a little bit different than the rest of the songs on the record. And I'm I'm gonna see what you can come up with for that one as well. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, yeah, you sent me the insect dark. That's it's pretty cool. I like it. Oh yeah, really really cool stuff. I think uh, the thing with with uh, Michael Guerra is like uh, pretty much anybody he chooses to collaborate with him is is a fucking killer, you know, musician yeah. and always like somebody who kind of thinks outside the box. Usually, you know. Yeah, well, you know, Dan is like a very talented player, just always thinking creatively, and she's done a bunch of real. She was in Angel of Light too, and um, she actually played in Gift Horse with uh, Jeff Whitehead too. All right, that's, a, that's quite a career, like playing a band with Jeff Whitehead and also playing with Michael Guerra, you know. <laughs> oh no, no doubt. She had another band called uh, B B and Flower, mm-hmm. which um, she just was the vocalist in that band, and uh, that's way different than the stuff that their other material. And um, when she uh, she was in Brooklyn earlier this summer, and I hung out with her, and I met the guy who played guitar and being flower while I was while we were chilling. Oh cool. Really, really cool guy. But they're like that's like uh <laughs> like Dana and I are probably close to the same age, but like she's like a, a more of a, a grown up like musically, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you know I'm trying to say like they're all like like about we're like all in the same age group, but like they're like adults. You know what I mean? And I'm still <laughs> like a, like, a, like a kid, you know what I mean? <laughs> like in the terms of like they're like um like thinking like this making like this abstract kind of music and stuff and yeah and I'm I'm trying to just play like like blast beats and like fucking brutal like riffs and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely really talk because it's like it's like um I find like an interest in a lot of that kind of abstract music, but ultimately I'm like playing like primitive, like I try to yeah. play primitive music, like, you know. <laughs> like the the dude the dude that guitar I, I can't remember his name, but he has, you know, he, he probably has like way bigger no- knowledge of ab- like weird chords and like 
you know, how to like jazz and stuff like that, like on guitar. Right. But I, I can, I could probably play like tremolo pick like for longer. You know what I mean? Right. That's yeah. like, that's like, <laughs> that's like totally like stupid, like caveman shit like that. That's what I'm into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm into you as well. It, I, that's why I like the swans and Michael Guerra because he's like in between. Yeah. That's the, that's the beauty. There's a, there's enough of a caveman there to make him appeal to, people who like this kind of you know all kinds of music really you know yeah yeah he's like it's like he has this there's a caveman element that appeals to you know people like you know loud pounding noises and stuff you know like (laughs) and a primitivism but then it's also like very abstract and like very like uh you know um what's the word uh i'm trying to think like i can't think of the word but it's like you know it's at the same time it's had this like abstract kind of quality to it as well that you know, free jazz and all those kinds of elements that he's into as well. And he's also, like, like intersecting them. Yeah. Like, like there's a lot of blues and like a lot of like, uh, like even on like, uh, like, like children of God, there's like almost like this kind of like gospel, like thing going on with some of those tracks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like not like obviously, you know, but like there, I listen to that stuff, some of that stuff. And there's a lot of like, these like subtle hints of like gospel music or something, you know, like, I don't know. There's like a lot of snake handler type shit on that particular record for me. You know, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Well, I know that he's, you know, he, um, I was listening to some interviews with him yesterday and I was like, he's obviously into a lot of kind of, you know, music. Like he likes, he's into sound, you know, like, so it's like certain types of gospel music they create. Like he's like talking about how, Certain types of gospel music creates these kind of like overtones that he's like really fascinated with, where it sounds like angels or something. You know, it's like under. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, also he's like he's like completely comfortable with like using God in in his lyrics too. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I think it's cool that he's like embraces like these these like archetypical things in his songwriting. You know? Yeah. Well, he's he's ta- it's kind of like Nick Cave. He's like tapping into these like real archetypical Old Testament like deeper level things but you know you get the sensation that he doesn't really mean god the way a christian does but he's he's willing to use those types of images you know i actually you know i've taken a cue from him as well like in some of my lyric writing too to be more like archetypical in terms you know using being feeling free to use like stuff that's not necessarily within the wheelhouse of the you know words and phrases that i have been using right because you know as we're writing a new album right now so it's like i've been working on a lot of a lot of like you know lyrical ideas and you know putting demo vocals together and and that's definitely like you know like using terms as archetypical metaphors you know and i feel like that's one of the biggest takeaways from michael gear's like lyrics and his songwriting in general Another another person who I feel like uses that really well is uh, Tom G. Fisher, and uh, oh hell yeah, yeah, you know like Monotheist for example, like him and um, uh, Martin Nain use those types of archetypical things in real interesting ways and kind of pervert them. You know what I mean? Like it's really fascinating. Like you know, there's like songs where he's like, it's you're like. It's kind of reminds me of that thing that Funeral Mist does too, where it's like it's using God and stuff in a way where you're like not there's like an ambiguity to it, you know. But it's like uh, 
he really manages with Triptychon and Monotheus to use these real kind of archetypical like images, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of dig that, you know what I mean? And it's like, um, I don't know. It's, I think reading a lot of the Carl Edward Wagner stuff, which takes place in this Christian South and like Flannery O'Connor and, and um, kind of Southern Gothic stuff has really put me on to like these kind of like Christian archetypes, you know what I mean? Right. And not not using it, not not like you know we're going to be a Christian metal band now or anything like that. But like, <laughs> right. But I mean, using it as like, um, yeah, like similar to like Nick Cave and Michael Gira, where it's like this like archetype and an analog for something else. Like you're using it because of the, uh, you know, using the 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 thing itself, but maybe putting a different meaning with it, you know, or like expanding on the meaning of the word, you know. Right, and and you can also use those types of things in the same way that. A, band like funeral mist does and and you're kind of warping it in a way yeah yeah totally i mean it's cool to say like you're like fuck jesus or whatever but it's like i'm not using it in that way i'm using it in like those terms i'm not actually not using jesus but like you know some of some of the christian ideas are like archetypically being leeching into like some of the lyrical stuff i've been working on right I think it's an interesting, interesting approach to take. And, you know, it's always good to, to challenge yourself as a as a lyricist and everything. I find lyrics to be used to be pretty easy for me, like writing lyrics. But uh, it's funny because I had like some kind of fundamental shift in myself as an artist a few year, like years ago after going through like this kind of like I guess like nervous breakdown type of thing. You know, like mental breakdown where you like oh, come back out of it and you're like sure. changed completely. Where it's like. I'm thinking like more musical oriented and like lyrics are actually kind of, I've been finding like finding them very difficult to, to, to put things into words that I'm trying to express, but you know, it's like, or I have like a higher standard of what, how I want the lyrics to be. Like I, I you're trying to like, it's like you're being very harsh on yourself with like, like with certain types of things that you do where you're just like being harsh and be like, no, we're doing it somehow stripping away all the excess words, like being very, like really like, extreme you know what i mean then on yeah. on that way so it makes yeah. it a little more difficult yeah definitely man i can relate to that it's like a, like i was you know i told you you know some of the personal stuff that i've dealt with over the last year two years that definitely um that was like my like dark night of the soul too man where i had to like come out through the other end of that and i feel like it's given me a lot of um you know personal insights and it's definitely changed the way i write lyrics and like i i haven't had trouble writing lyrics only because of the volume of words that I have written down already. You know, it's like, I have like I try to write stuff every day, even if it's not specifically for a song, because like I'll write something on, and I'll, I'll scan through all my notebooks and it'll be like something will appear on a page here. And then like two pages later, it'll be, Oh, these ideas kind of go together. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'll write entries more in like a prose narrative sense of like descriptions. Right. And then like, I'll doubt those will somehow I'll turn them into lyrics. You know, they won't necessarily be about anything that has to do with like the, the riffs. Like it's not like I'm writing it to the song, but I'll find that they actually work with the songs that I'm writing, you know, right, it's yeah. pretty cool. And once again, it's just like repetition, like sitting down and making sure I do it every day, just like, you know, every, every other practice I have, I do it every day or as much, you know, I have a schedule when I do things like I right. train work, 
I write songs, I work on lyrics, I do podcasts, everything's done with like a, a disciplined kind of schedule. And that's the best way I get results. And I have like pages and pages of stuff to go through now. And it's just, and like um, this one particular song, I don't have a title for it yet. That's the last piece, but um, the, the lyrics are done. It's, uh, you know, I have some very rough demo lyric, like uh, vocals that I just did here in the apartment, but like, I'm going to get out of the space later this week and do proper like vocals, you know? Right. And, and uh, my friend, Sarah, who uh, she's sang on a bunch of tunes stuff over the years. And she and I also have a project that we're working on together. Oh yeah. From and, uh, black man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. She um, writes, she's an incredible writer, great lyricist. And like, so like uh, she's going to do some vocals on this particular song as well. Cool. And, and uh, so I sent her the lyrics, you know what I mean? I'm just like, Oh, she likes the lyrics. So it's like, I know that like, you know, I'm on the right track. Right. Because she'll be like, I'm not, or, you know, I told her, I said, if you don't like them, just tell me, you, you don't have to, you know, she'll be like, I don't, I'm not going to sing these because I don't like these lyrics or something, you know, I'm like, all right. Right. Back to, the, back to the drawing board, you know, but it's like, she wrote, she wrote back like a day later and she was just like, yeah, these lyrics are, are solid. You know, I can tell that you put a lot of attention into it. And I was like, that's awesome. That's like a real compliment, you know, and I took that to heart, you know what I mean? And because I respect her like so much, like as a, lyricist as an artist as a singer you know all that kind of stuff yeah yeah i'm a big fan of uh black mare stuff in particular she's done like the two the black mare albums i fucking i love those albums <laughs> yeah no nah, she's she's great man she's like good good uh guitar player a really good bass player she's incredible vocalist you know she's like you know just like an overall like really good person in general you know? right yeah, that that's cool. Yeah, the, the um, it's probably a good idea to 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 regimentalize that way with your with your schedule. And you, I wonder if like maybe since you're working on the music at the same time, and now you're doing writing, I'm sure that might even increase the odds that your writing is gonna line up with the music that you're creating. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, no, probably even just on like a subconscious level. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and like, like this one particular track too, it's like, like on, on every, not, not like some songs get more better treatment than the others, but there's like, there are always songs where I'm like, man, this one, I have to get this exactly right. You know what I mean? Everything has to be perfect on this one because of just the ideas and the concepts I'm trying to like communicate with it. Right. And that's why like this one, like, you know, I really wanted to make sure that like two years from now when I listen to it. And it's done. And I'm like, okay, this is like, I did, I definitely, I, di I didn't half step it. You know what I mean? I put everything into it and, you know, I'm sure I won't like it, you know, but, <laughs> but at least I know that I accomplished what I set out to do and that it, it, it covers all the, the feelings and emotions I wanted to put into it. You know, do you feel, do you, uh, do you have that feeling like um, Michael Gira does where you feel like everything you do is a failure? <laughs> like, cause that's what he says. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's like, yeah, especially like, Pretty much, man. It's like I can't, I, I can't. I just get so disgusted by listening to the music that I that the records. I can't listen to records that I play on, or I can't stand the way my voice sounds. I can't. I can tell my guitar, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I'm like I can tell by the way I'm picking it that it's my guitar that I, I fucking suck, and you know, I should have <laughs> like taught you to play that instead of me or something, you know. And I'm like, 
but yeah, it's just yeah, it's, kinda, it's like a mental thing. It's like yeah. Do you after a time period of time can you go back to your old stuff and be like, oh, that's actually kind of good because that that's what happens to me. Like I won't will listen to something I make for like a while and then I'll go back a couple years later and be like, oh, I actually kind of like this, you know. <laughs> It has to be to the point where I don't remember how to play the song. You know right. I mean? like yeah. There, there are like tracks from my old band Anodyne that I won't, wouldn't even be able to recognize the song because I don't know how to play it anymore. You know what I mean? And it's like, right. and my style of playing has changed so much that it doesn't compute with me mentally anymore. As like, you know, like something that I would, I would never write a song like that anymore. You know, it's not right. how I approach music anymore. So that's different. I could be more subject, more objective about that material. And there was a band that's even older than that, that uh, I'm actually going to be working with the drummer on that material. Again, we're going to be doing, we're actually going to be recording some stuff in February. Oh, really? Um, and that, that is completely objective because he sent me, <laughs> this is really funny. He sent me a, um, like a YouTube, like a, I guess he posted all these songs and I have no memory of recording any of these fucking songs. <laughs> and I was like, dude, w- when the hell did we do this? You know? Yeah. And he's, he's like, oh, we, right after we did that tour of Fetus, we came back and Rob Sutton came up to Boston and he recorded this stuff at New Alliance. And I was like, you know, now I kind of remember it, but I don't remember any of these fucking songs, man. Yeah, you never talked about that in any of the episodes or anything. I've heard you talk about the tour photos, but not that that you recorded. Uh, I don't remember. I don't. I, I he has to send me those. I'll I'll post them on the Patreon because like I have to get the files from him though. I'm gonna ask right. him to send them to me. So I'm definitely gonna put them up there because they're they're actually pretty good, man. They're like not. I, I really. It sounds like a band that I never. I had no involvement with. Like I don't even remember the songs, or I vaguely remember the recording session and like. Oh, that's just crazy, man. This one is yeah. like lost the time type of things that happens. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get together in February, like I said, and, and uh, I'm going to have them break it down for me exactly like what the fuck we did, you know, why we did it. Because the record, it's like a the record never came out either. I think we broke up and the label didn't put it out. Or I, I don't see. I don't even remember the story. I remember we had we had material that we that we were working on material when the band broke up. Okay. Mm. And it was like, I didn't, but I thought all we had were like demos. I didn't think we actually had a proper recording of those songs. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. It's so funny, man. Yeah, it's, funny, it's funny how your, how your mind can kind of like, was that like a kind of rough, bad time or like, was the breakup kind of bad and something that like would make you uh, like, kind of like blank it out? It, it was like one of these deals where like, we were like super young, like we were like fucking early twenties and you know, Back then, you don't really have like a clear vision of what you want to do, really. Yeah, and it was like one of these realizations where I woke up and uh, and it was just like, we're all three of us, all four of us are in four different bands, really. You know, it's like we (laughs) all four of us want to do something completely different, yet we're doing this band together and no one's happy doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. But the worst part about it was like we had some like low level success you know, like financially, like we'd signed this like uh publishing deal. And back then, like when your publishing was worth something, you would get like an advance of money and they would own your publishing. Right. A lot of bands, a lot of bands in the nineties did stuff like that so they could have cash. Right? right. So, so I didn't have a job. I was like going on tour all the time. 
I was literally all I was doing was the band and like going on the road. I would come home. I would just hang around, you know, so I didn't have any prospects of getting a job or anything like that. So when you're, you're realizing that you're like, uh, you know, all four of us are in four different bands and no one's happy doing this band anymore. Do we break up? If we break up, that means I have to go out and find a job. <laughs> like actually, and, and I decided, I'm like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm out. And I'm just like, I, I, you guys could do whatever you want, but I'm going to try doing something different. And that's when I got the job at the warehouse. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, it was just like, but everyone, no one else wanted to continue doing it either. You know, right. so you're just yeah, so it wasn't trigger. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, it was just uh I, I mean it was no blowout argument, no one hated each other. It was just like it's kind of the died. worst. Yeah, it was kind of died and like we were uninspired and we've been on tour a lot and like you know, kind of sick of each other, like we didn't hang out with each other anymore. And I remember it's funny, like I was going through the archives, I got over, I, I posted some of these on the Patreon, some of these archive recordings of radio shows. Yeah. And there was like one interview that I, I didn't post it, but I have I have it in my own archive of us after we got back from that European tour. And it was like, I have all these radio shows assembled on this one file, like in my folder. And right. it's like, we're so enthusiastic on this one. Then a couple of years later, we're like, we came out, we're like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Right. It wasn't that great. You know, like, you know, we hate each other, like all this stuff. We're like, it just sounded they were so completely different. Like on the last, that was probably the last thing we ever did really. You know, they were just, the band just broke up. Right. It's, that might be why, why it's kind of like went out of your memories is because it's just like, yeah, not like, it was, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not great either. Like, you know, you kind of like, it's kind of like, what cleared it out of your memory kind of, you know? <laughs> totally, man. It's like, and like that the drummer, like I, yeah, we all I got along with it. Well, the only guy that the hard the worst thing about it was like I thought the guy that was singing was a little cheesy. That yeah. was really that was like literally the only problem that there was. Like he, you know, I didn't like his singing, I didn't like his vocals, I didn't like his lyrics, none of that stuff. The image, you know, whatever imagery. Um, but I stayed friends with everyone, you know, even him, like we we're friendly. You know, it's not like I was like against him or anything like that. And then uh, just this past year, I ran into our old drummer at Providence at one of our shows and we just stayed in touch. And like, he was like, he probably could have been in like Danzig or something like that. Like he was like that type of drummer, like perfect, okay. like incredible. He went to Berkeley, you know, in Boston. He right. knows about all kinds of like world music and jazz and everything, but he was just like a solid rock drummer. You know what I mean? Could play just great heavy rock music. And uh, so we just stayed in touch, you know, last over the summer. And, you know, I had a bunch of material that I'm like, man, this would be perfect for Brian to play on. So we're going to, sure enough, we're going to get together in February and record a bunch of songs. Oh, cool. Is it going to yeah. be like, a, like, like heavy rock type of songs or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like, uh, you know, like my attempt at playing music like that, I guess, you know what I mean? It's like, like, I, I'm, I'm not, I, whenever I try to do something, it always comes out different than what I intended it to be. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what, that's what happens to me too. <laughs> you know, it's all right. This, this <laughs> record's going to sound like, like Skinner or something like that, but then it ends up sounding like something completely different, you know? 
So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, I, I am like almost incapable of even really doing like covers for the most part because I just like, <laughs> I just have a hard time playing other people's music. And I'm so, the same way. Yeah. So when I do, it's very rare. And it's like, if I, you it's going to be something like i don't know like i can play like the misfits or something you know what i mean but like well yeah that's you know the ramones misfits yeah that stuff's pretty yeah definitely yeah, yeah i but but um you know i'm like pretty incapable of playing covers and i don't feel too bad because i mean another band that's that who self-admittedly hate doing our terrible covers is you too they're like one of the biggest bands and they, they're like oh we can't even play covers <laughs> you know like yeah. Just, sometimes you just have that that you just don't have that skill. I just don't have that skill to to match yeah, something. Neither. Yeah. Me neither. You know, I always play like I can never I also have the patience of sitting around and like playing something. Like there's like certain songs, yeah, like certain slayer songs I can play or Metallica. That's because when I was learning how to play guitar, I was playing those songs. You know what I mean? But like now it's like if you wanted me to figure out like, you know, like I don't know, like a fucking dissection song or something like that, I couldn't really I just, I just don't want to figure it out, really. Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, I very rarely try to learn another person's song. The only time I, I try to really is um, if it's something I'm like really kind of curious about how the song's put together, and that's mostly just to maybe apply some of that in a way, some of that to break myself out of like um, if I get in a rut, you know what I mean? Like, like when I'm writing and I want to try to throw a wrench in that and try to like find some like different ways of writing. Like, um, I remember I tried to learn like Natasha and eternal slumber by dark throne. Cause it's such a weird fucking riff, you know, mm-hmm. and just like kind of studying the way that the riff is put together and stuff. It kind of helped me inspire me to put together my own riffs that maybe don't even sound like that. It's just the, the nature of the way the riff is, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much like, the only time I try to learn songs, really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, totally. I'm not, I yeah. wasn't really trying to do a cover of it. I mean, there's a few songs like um, I did the same thing with um, Figurehead from Pornography. Like I learned how to play most of the songs in Pornography. Yeah. And uh, one time, like the basic notes and stuff, because I love those songs. But then um, like when I was like uh, learning how to play guitar, I, I learned all the songs, like just like the, the basic chord progressions. But I remember one time when I started recording my own music, I uh, did a cover of Figurehead where I learned all the all the guitar parts that Robert Smith does on it and tried to put it together just for myself, really, because I was, I was curious how, you know, you got the bass line. I recorded the bass line with the bass notes and then learned all the guitar parts. And it kind of like inspired, you know, kind of inspired me to like, okay, this is how this is put together. You know what I mean? Like, but I wouldn't like probably it'd be very, I probably, if I were to do that now, I would do it in my own way. And, you know, like just allow it to be my own, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Kind of like when you guys did, um, was it the shift? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, oh, well, I mean, cover. That's, yeah, but that, that's like, so there's like three, four chords in that really. I mean, there's really nothing to it. You know what I mean? But the hardest part of that song is the vocals actually. Right. Yeah. Again, like Dan, Danzig, Danzig's not like, he's like not really on any rhythm in that song. It's weird. You know? So yeah, I had to like memorize his, his pattern. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, like when you, you know, like when you're singing, you know, there's like a rhythm and a tempo in the song. 
and you're just yeah. sort of like you're like placing the lyrics like where they're going in the song. That's not how Danzig sings, man. No, like not not in Samhain at least. Like he's like all like meandering around the rhythms and kind of jumping in and out of of time. Yeah. So when I actually tr- sat down to like figure all that stuff out, I was like, man, I just have to match like memorize his pattern, you know, in the song. Cause it's not really gone to downbeat or anything like that. So, and it was fun because I, I'd never sing that way. You know, I, I have like what I do, you know, which is like based on the rhythm of the song and the tempo and Danzig's just up there kind of freestyling the whole thing, you know? And I was just like, you know, I mean, I, I didn't get it perfectly, but I think I did an okay job on that song. One thing that I've, I've learned from being both a guitar player and singer and also just a singer in a band is that, part of that too is like when you're just a singer in a band you have it i had ended up being more like that because you're but when you're playing guitar i end up being more on the rhythm you know what yeah I mean? you're, you're playing as well as singing so it's yeah but when you're like singing so- but when i'm just when i was like the lead singer of a band i was just like it was i was able to have that more like where you're not really singing right on the beat and stuff like that you know what i mean so that probably has a part of it yeah, no, totally. Yeah, but uh, yeah, dude, I, I probably got, I probably got to roll, man. I got, it's getting late over here. So. Yeah, I was like, oh, we we talked for over three hours. So, <laughs> no, it's that, it's great, yeah, man. It's great. I got, I got nothing going on tonight, man. I just gotta fold, still fold my laundry and stuff like that. But yeah, right. yeah, Eddie, well, it's been great, uh, great catching up and doing. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, let's do this. We don't have thing. to, we don't have to do a podcast to talk, man. Let's chat. We can chat another time too, man. It's cool. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Yeah, good and talk. Well, have a good night, man. You too. Good night. Good night.
Countdown.